Helix mattresses have been recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Everybody is unique, and everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. So how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? You can take the Helix Sleep Quiz and find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. And your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door free of charge. Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10-15 to year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash drink. That's helixsleep.com slash drink. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Hey, does anyone want to learn French with me? Because I've decided in 2024 that I want to learn French. And thankfully, I have Rosetta Stone. So you better hop on and so we can learn French together. Rosetta Stone has the amazing true accent feature, which is so helpful, especially in French. You get feedback on how well you're actually pronouncing words. Plus, they have 25 languages to choose from. So if you're not going to learn French with me, I'm sure you can find some other people who will learn a language with you. But I'm on the French team this year. Come on, folks, join me. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, and that's why we drink listeners, can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash drink. That's rosettastone.com slash drink. Yay, there we are. We're here. Welcome to uh, round two of, and that's why we drink, minus Christine, but mm. featuring uh, our guest star, Eva. Hello. Plus Hello. and minus. Minus and plus. plus. And we mi- miss Christine. <laughs> In PEMDOS, it like maybe cancels out or something. I'm not sure. But <laughs> uh, I wanted to shout out, for those of you who are watching on YouTube, Eva has like the coolest mm. shirt I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's from, was it Dumb Good? Yeah, it's from Dumb Good. It's all real monsters. And uh, it's great. <laughs> Eva is wearing the all real monster shirt because we just had a conversation uh, recently where I actually so I just came back. I don't know if just came back is the right thing to say in November. Uh, but I <laughs> recently was in Denver and there's a comic book place there called um, Vision Comics and Oddities. Mm. And in there they have, so by the way, also in Denver, fun fact, the like country's biggest comic book shop is there, which is absolutely worth the hype. I saw like five Captain America shields in there. There's like a whole Star Wars area, a whole Star (gasps) Trek area. It was like the size of Walmart, Eve. It was insane. Ooh. There's also on like more, more the outskirts of town, there was a really cool um, comic book called Vision Comics and and Oddities. And some artist over there made this... um, uh, like art statue installment of the Avril monsters that look, it doesn't look like the cartoon version. It looks like if they were to like come to life. And anyway, I showed it to Eva. I'll show up. We'll put the picture on Instagram, yeah. but they look like real. It, I don't know how to describe. What would you say, Eva? Like real little monsters. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like, you know, like obviously Avril monsters is animated. And so they look like cartoons, but this looks like as if Avril monsters was like, 
made of human parts? Is that yeah. like the right way to put it? It's a very, it's like when people like show like what the Simpsons would look like in real life. And it's like people with like really stretched out yellow skin heads. It's yes. very weird. It's, it's, it's exactly that. Yeah. It's very odd. I don't know how to process it. And also, uh, what's the one with the eyeballs? That's why we talked about it yes. because we were talking about Pan's Labyrinth and how mm-hmm. he and the guy from All Real Monsters may, might be cousins because they both hold their eyeballs. Yes. And um, here for the YouTube, I'll show you on the back. Yeah. Let's see, can you see it? There he is. There he is. I I always appreciated how starchy his armpit hair was to go directly <laughs> directly out. <laughs> never never flip down. He flat irons that shit. <laughs> and then hairsprays the shit out of it. Yeah. Yes. But because he's naked on the show, which I don't know how Nickelodeon got away with that, but uh, <laughs> the statue of him too is naked. And so another picture we will post of them. Uh, I did get a close up of his little tushy. So <laughs> just in case you want to know what the Avril Monster's real butt would look like in real life, I have that on my phone and it will go on our Instagram. Ah, uh, real tushy. <laughs> There's also a great, this was the story I wanted to take you to, uh, that I think you came in after I did in Denver. I did, uh, yeah. But it was called like totally 80s or 80s something. Just if anyone's in Denver and you need something to do, just type in like 80s store and it'll come up. It was, it blew my fucking mind. Have I ever showed you pictures of that place? No, Eva? that sounds so fun. Eva. It was an emporium <laughs> of eight. Like it was everything 80s and 90s. Any trinket, any McDonald's toy, any stuffed animal, any popular game, any stuffed animal, any. I, I mean, I think I just said that. Whatever. Whoa. Every single thing. It was like from ceiling to floor, everything was like crammed together on the shelves because there was just so much to get through. There was a Ghostbuster section. There was, um, I shockingly very few Back to the Future stuff. There was hmm. Muppet stuff. There was <gasps> Flintstones area. Oh my there gosh. There was a, a Star Wars section. I mean, it was any toy from that era, if you remember it, or even like the as seen on TV, you know, kind of tchotchkes and stuff. I'll, I'll we'll post pictures of that too on our instagram it yeah. blew my freaking mind i facetimed allison almost crying being like i found my my haven <laughs> anyway i we that was a tangent but uh, i appreciate your shirt eva war for you referencing uh, a thing we cut out <laughs> referencing a thing we cut out and found a way to insert back in <laughs> i also uh something that eva and i have discussed that nobody else knows about is i got this thing on etsy and it just came in the mail oh and i have yet to open it so if you're on youtube this is going to be a site for you but yes I, unboxing it's an unboxing and i haven't seen it yet it's completely wrapped up i want to give a shout out to the person on etsy called trans in thesis hmm. And uh, the the card that came with it said, I hope this gives you goosebumps. Ooh. Just to give anyone an idea <gasps> of what this might be. I just remembered I, what it was. <laughs> it was a 3 a.m. purchase. Um, so I did, it was out of my control. I just pressed buy now. <laughs> and um, apparently this person is a Goosebumps fan and makes little coffin-shaped bookshelves. And in the coffin-shaped bookshelf has little, like, mini, 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 mini size of your, like, finger, maybe, miniature copies of all the Goosebumps books. And so I bought the whole set because I'm a crazy person. <laughs> and it looks amazing. Hang on. So there's, I just opened it. <gasps> there's a, there's plastic in here, I guess, to keep all the books from falling out. Sure. But it's got, it's even, if you're watching on YouTube, it's got little skulls and candles. Oh, my God. On the 
Let me see Wait, if I can pull one of these books out. I was going to say, all those books are little you loose can, boys. You can literally pull every one of them out, and they are real Goosebumps books. Oh, they are my the, God. Apparently, they're the original 62 Goosebumps books <gasps> from we the 90s. read them? Is there text in there? No. Oh, okay. If there was, my Hulk fingers would just break <laughs> through the entire thing. But they're they, it, it, from the back... The front and the back and the sides all have all of the Goosebumps info. Please check wow. our YouTube so you know what I'm talking about <laughs> so you can freak out with me. Um, because we're on air, I'm not going to get to like explore this as much as I'd like to, but I did tell Eva at 3 a.m. that I bought it, so I wanted you to be here for the unboxing. Oh my god, I'm honored. <laughs> this is going right on my little tchotchke shelf, and um, again, that was trans and thesis if you want one for yourself, so oh, it's delightful. So Love. How are you, Eva? Because I just did a lot of talking. Oh my gosh. No, thank you. Uh, okay. I love that. Love a 3 a.m. purchase. Um, I'm doing great. I Speaking of 3 a.m. purchases, Rachel, my girlfriend, recently just purchased a nighttime purchase of a uh, bread, a baked bread <gasps> smelling candle, scented <gasps> candle. What? What? Okay. How did, how did she find this? It is... So good. I actually don't know. Does it smell like bread? It smells exactly like bread. So we actually had some bread the next day that was from California Pizza Kitchen. And (laughs) (laughs) it tasted exactly the way that bread candle smelled. So Okay, so California Pizza Kitchen, you just got the endorsement of a lifetime that this candle (laughs) smells exactly like your product. Yes. Wow. This this sounds like something that like in the eighties, early nineties, my mom would have used as like a diet trick of like you can just (laughs) You can just light up the candle and feel like you're eating carbs. You just smell it. You don't have to eat it. We ate it and smelled it. <laughs> so, okay. So where did they get, where, where, where did she get this candle? So you we know, know where. Yeah. One of them, I think the second one she ended up getting on Amazon, but I do think the first one was from like a company, like a, like a candle company. I'll find the company and I'll like link it maybe on our Instagram at some point because you it's know, like so good. I've thought of. I thought I had thought of all the things a candle could smell like, but to capture the smell of bread is like just so obvious. It was under my nose the whole time. Literally. But like I, but I just never thought, I just typed in bread candle and the first one that comes up, oh my God, hang on. There's a candle in here called the Stinky Candle Company and I'm going to have to get one for the witch Wait, for that Christmas. might be it because they do other, can- like, let me make sure, let me see. I'm sorry, there's a, the Stinky ca- Candle Company. I don't know if this is the company that you bought it from. Yeah. They have a number two pencil scented candle. Do they really? That might be it because they also have a spooky season scented one and it smells like somehow weirdly exactly like what you would think Halloween would smell like. Really? It's like the coolest. I'm going to get the company from Rachel because it's so good. Stinky Candle Company also has a pizza candle. I don't know about that, but they do have a, they do have a bread candle. And then there was uh, another place called Another One Bites the Crust. Uh, that what? apparently is another bread. There's, oh my God, there's so many bread candles. Anyway, thank you for that revelation. Yeah. Bring it here. Yeah, I'll find the, the exact one and I'll link it um, on the, maybe like Insta stories or something. But whew, yeah, it was, it was a good one. And uh, yeah, speaking of 3am purchases, I think otherwise <laughs> I'm doing good. <laughs> I think that one is a sane enough explanation. It should just be like put in the the normal run of the mill, like 6 p.m. purchases. Like that one just makes sense that you could buy it at any hour. No one That's would true. judge you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Including 3 a.m. Right. Well, okay. So Eva, big news that I don't think either of us have totally processed or Christine was aware of before she left us to have a baby. Yes. Is yes, that yes. this is episode 250. Okay. I meant to text you about that because as I was like, you know, creating all the links and like upload stuff, like link for later, I was like, oh my God. Uh-oh. Are you kidding me? 
Uh-oh. <laughs> like, uh, hello, this is a big one. Oh my god. Uh, I have, I tried, I uh, speaking of 3am and just losing my mind, I literally tried looking up trivia about the number 250 just oh. to like see if anything would come up so we could embrace this moment. Um, fun fact, there's not like a lot of trivia about individual <laughs> numbers. Um, this actually does have one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I will mention in a second. But first, I wanted to do the numerology of 250. Okay, I was literally just, if you didn't mention that, I was going to be like, wait, can we look that up, though? I'm so glad. I did it for us. Don't even worry. So, okay, I got this information from Affinity Numerology and a website called The Secret of Tarot. Ooh. Um, So 250, I mentioned this a couple episodes back for some reason. Oh, Uh, the Friday the 13th episode. Okay, that's what it was, yes. And uh, so I guess in numerology, each number in the number, each digit in the number brings its own energy to the number. And then there's like a, like a combined energy. And so when you combine the energy from two, five, and zero, Mm -hmm. you're combining the energies of two, which stands for duality and cooperation. Uh, Number five, which stands for individuality because it's the middle point of zero and 10. So it's kind of like either it stands alone or it's a turning point into the next chapter. Um, Or zero, which means birth or rebirth or supreme. And it's kind of comprehensive in that it, it, I I don't know, is involved in every number. I'm not too sure. But birth slash rebirth slash the universe. So when you add the... The coexistence of number two, the freedom mm-hmm. and individuality of number five, and the inclusiveness of the number zero, that was a quote from the website, mm-hmm. you end up getting these values or this essence out of 250. So if you happen oh. to stumble across the number 250 and you're like, oh, what did that mean? If you're into like, you know, finding numbers in your environment. If you see 250, this is what it means. Uh, it represents intuition, introspection, wisdom, duality, relationships, personal freedom, and potential. Ooh. And so if you, I guess if you were to clump those all together, the the message you might get, this is one of like many interpretations, but you could take it as uh, to evolve or have a rebirth into the next phase of life, you need to trust your relationship with the universe and use your inner wisdom to analyze the challenges ahead. I love that. And it's very telling. I think it resonated with me because of this episode of like, oh, like I should use my, I should trust the universe. Fingers crossed that we get 250 more. Yeah. Use your inner wisdom to analyze the challenges ahead, which I, the only challenge I can think of is why don't I have this fucking bread candle? But, um, (laughs) you know, if something else comes by, then like I can think of like those, you know, intuition and introspection were apparently like the main focus of this number. So, oh my gosh, I love that. I feel like it also has some like tones of like, you know, not quite like taking a break, but like regrouping in a way that feels really mm. pertinent to like, you know, Christine having a baby and like, you know, literal sort of birth and rebirth. literal birth. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Wow. Okay, Eva. Like, oh, by that the way, was all numerology. <laughs> by the way, uh, shout out to Eva's like personal hobbies because <laughs> this woman, this woman knows a thing or two about tarot. So uh, I appreciate during quarantine you just reading me my own life every day. Oh my gosh, uh, what well, was from the the tarot, the medieval cat tarot deck that you gave me? <laughs> well, but then don't they say that like you like a oh tarot get tarot cards you have to be given them as a gift right you can't buy them yourself or is it the I've, opposite 
You know, I've heard that. I think you actually told me that when you gave them to me, and I've heard that before, too. Oh. <laughs> Maybe I was trying to justify why I bought you more tarot cards. You're like, hi, this is more powerful than you even know. <laughs> um, okay, so the, the other fun fact uh, about 250, the only fun fact I could really find, was that in Chinese slang, 250 means idiot. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> Apparently, 250, it's pronounced air. Air by Wu. I'm sure I'm fucking up the like the inflections and all that, but Air by Wu is uh, 250. And there's oh. two reasons why uh, they don't know the official story, but there's two main stories as to why 250 became uh, the word for idiot. So the first reason is the shorter reason is that in ancient China, they used to have these copper coins. And if you had a thousand of them, it was called a diao, oh. which is their, like, was like a unit of currency. Mm-hmm. So if you had a thousand of them, you had a diao. Um, D-A-I-O, for anyone wondering how badly I'm butchering the pronunciation. Mm-hmm. So half of a diao, or half of a thousand, would be 500 of these coins, or a bon diao. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, apparently in China, there's uh, in, culturally, from what I found on the internet, uh, culturally there's like this air of modesty where like you almost kind of like are self-deprecating about your own intelligence. We're like, oh, like I'm only like half smart. So instead of calling themselves Aww. fully smart, they would say like, oh, I'm Bondiao, as in like half of a thousand, if that Aww. makes sense. Yeah. And so, but actual stupid people, <laughs> idiots, would be called a quarter of a thousand instead of just the half thousand that you're like being modest about so a quarter of a thousand is 250 and so they would be like stupid or it and it got it the second reason is uh, a story a very quick story of that in uh, forever ago there was a chinese kingdom called chi which Hmm. is qi so in chi the king's I, the way that the story was told to me is that it was his best friend. Could have just been, like, someone he was close with. But I'm going to go with bestie because it, like, makes me feel better. <laughs> so in the story, the king's best friend was named Su Chi. And I guess to get at the king, they killed his best friend. They killed Su some Like, some bad guy killed Su Chi. Hmm. So the king decided to figure out who was his best friend's murderer. He put out this announcement saying... Fun fact, Suchi was actually an enemy of the state and you did me a favor, so please come to the palace so I can reward you. Oh, shit. And I will reward you with one, uh, with a, a, a thousand, or like a, one diao, a thousand mm-hmm. coins. And the trick was, they think they're coming here for a, a diao, but they're actually just going to get killed. Oh, yikes. And so, uh, just because they killed my best friend, I'm going to kill them back. So. Got it. Four different people fell for this trap, and they all showed up at the uh, at the kingdom, being like, "I'm the one that killed Su Chi," and he was thinking, "Like y'all are fucking idiots. Like I need to kill one of you, and if none of you own up to it, I have to kill all of you just to be safe." Oh shit! And so he ended up saying, "Like okay, like if none of you are gonna back down and like honestly say you didn't kill him, I'm gonna have to assume all four of you did. So here's your one thousand coins reward. I'll give you two hundred fifty each, and then he killed them." So it was Whoa. like you're you were foolish enough to fall for that fake campaign, but also falsely admitting to murder. At least three oh. of them were. So that's why two fifty means idiot. Oh my gosh! Wow, what a deep dive! What a deep dive! So anyway, interesting. I had nothing else to offer, but that's my trivia <laughs> about the number two hundred fifty. Oh my gosh, that's so cool! 
Um, okay, now I'm ready to tell you my spooky story. Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm, ready. I'm sorry. I'm ready. We talked so much. I We literally, after yesterday, were like, we won't talk as much. And then I inserted like five fucking stories into the beginning. By now, you've probably heard about Burrow, a new kind of furniture company known for timeless designs, durable materials, and details that make life in your space easier. Last year, they brought their expertise outside with the launch of their outdoor line, which I love, and now they're adding more must-have pieces to the collection. For example, Dunes offers seating, dining, and lounger options, while Scout is a new folding chair upholstered in a chic woven fabric. And I think I'm going to get two of those for the balcony. Blaze and I love to sit out there in the evenings after Leona goes to bed. And I love the idea of having a good-looking but also extremely useful and comfy place to sit outside. Made of durable materials made for all seasons, weather-resistant teak, stainless alloy, and quick-dry stain-resistant cushions with easy assembly and disassembly this is the perfect thing for your outdoor space they also just launched a new standing desk co-pilot with adjustable height a durable scratch resistant body with built-in storage to make working at home easier than ever i'm in the market for a new desk um so this is definitely going to be my next bookmark and of course there's burrow's legacy seating collections like the nomad and range now available in new colors and m and i that's like the only piece of furniture i think we actually share is our burrow sofa in the podcast department love that thing and that's why we drink listening can get 15% off their first order at burrow.com slash drink. That's burrow, B-U-R-R-O-W.com slash drink for 15% off. Burrow.com slash drink. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home on top of the wide variety of houseplants available. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. I am so thrilled that we are working with Fast Growing Trees. I spent about an hour and a half on the website trying to decide what I would love to order from their products. They have so many options and you can actually filter it by zones, by growing zones to make sure you know it'll work in your garden. Um, they have everything from massive privacy shrubs and trees to very, very specific flowers. I actually ended up ordering a lilac shrub for my garden. I recently discovered how much I love the smell of lilac and so I I thought, you know what? Perfect chance. Why don't I get some lilac growing in my yard? I think it's going to smell beautiful. And I also got my mom a little lavender plant as an Easter present. Right now, they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code DRINK at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code DRINK at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com code DRINK. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. We're on it. We're here. We're zip zapping. We're doing it. So, Eva, for episode 250, I tried to find the earliest account of a poltergeist. Whoa, cool. And this is the story of the Devil of Glenless. The story is from the 1650s, which is 20 years earlier than the last story I just did about uh, the witch Elizabeth Knapp, quote, the witch or the possession of. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the story's from the 1650s. It is allegedly the, quote, earliest documented account of poltergeist activity. And uh, the, although I feel like I've said that about a few stories at this point, but whatever. The story was published by a guy named George Sinclair. It's a story in one of his books. Mm. Um, So quick fun facts about George Sinclair. He was... He was, he seemed very like he would have been one of our people because he was super interested in like demonology and witches and ghosts, but he was actually like 
just a mathematician or an engineer. This wasn't like, he kind of just fell into demonology, I guess. Hmm. By the way, I realized I just said, oh, he's one of us because he's a mathematician and an engineer. Um, <laughs> I thought because of demonologists. <laughs> yes, that's what I meant. But I'm yes, sure, okay. like, I do not think I'm an engineer. I don't even know where fucking... <laughs> an engineer of good times. <laughs> <laughs> so, in... <laughs> so um, the way he fell into it was that in 1654, he was a professor and he held philosophy and math chairs. And then in 1655, he... For some reason, one of like his like claims to fame was as a, while a professor, he contributed to inventing a type of diving bell that helped with shipwrecks. Oh. And then a year later, he ends up getting fired from his professor job, but he became a mineral surveyor, which led to him like supervising the city's water piping. Huh. So he like I don't know. He went from one thing to a very different thing, but got wow. really invested in minerals and in the city's water. So through this, he ended up actually being the person in Scotland, fun fact, to figure out how to drain water from coal mines. Oh, interesting. So he's got that. He's got the diving bell thing. He's all over the place. He's a skilled lad. So he is. He's a skilled lad. So then he becomes a math professor at the University of Edinburgh, and he, quote, based on the principle of siphons, invented the early example of a perpetual motion machine. So he's, I don't know what that means, but it sounds like huh. it was yet another thing to put on his little resume. Wow. And then five years later, he uh, ended up dying. But his biggest accomplishment was in the 1670s while he was working in minerals and water piping. He published a book. I guess he published a bunch of books, but this was the book he kind of got better known for. Um, it was a book about minerals and water piping, and it was called hydrostatics the force weight and pressure of fluid bodies it sounds like a textbook i would have to buy for school and never fucking touch yeah yeah well he ended up modifying it i don't know what is going on in there or what was going on in his mind either but he ended up republishing this book with like new editions like demonology so like Wait, what? It's, it's a random, like, water physics book that also has to do with the demons. Oh, my God. I want to talk to him. Did he see demons in the mines? Did he see demons in the pipes? All of a sudden, like, I need a school textbook. And it's from 1680. So I don't think it even exists anymore. But it was called, he renamed it to Hydrostatical Experiments with Miscellany Observations and a Relation of an Evil Spirit. And also a discourse concerning coal. Like, wait, what? Okay, wait. I don't know why this made me think of, like, parents trying to make children eat broccoli and, like, like hiding it, like, under cheese or, like, in something Absolutely. Fun. It's like, hi, here, scientists. Um, I'm one of you. And also, would you like to read about these demons? Because I'm going to make you in this textbook. It was, like, the reverse of putting a pill in cheese. It was, yeah. like, oh, the cheese is actually in the middle. It's actually all the demons. <laughs> But yeah, hydrostatical experiments with miscellany observations and a relation of an evil spirit and also a discourse concerning coal. So, oh. like, he, he really did just slip it in there and hope no one noticed. He was like, I've got a lot to say about a lot of things. He, it reminds me, there's, like, one book that's, like, I see on the internet all the time where it was, like, something about, like, love, sex, and raising wolves or something. It was, oh. like, it was something weird where everyone's like, what is going on in this book? There's a lot of twists and turns in the title alone. <laughs> So anyway, when he wrote that and somehow inserted evil spirit content, uh, it included one story called The Devil of Glenless. 
And so I guess you're like reading on page one about hydrostatics and you get to page 20 and all of a sudden there's the devil of Glenless. And I guess it was like, maybe the devil is involved in our science. I, maybe he, maybe for the time he thought the science is the devil. Science is the devil. I don't know. But he was also a scientist and he invented shits. I don't understand where he was going with it. Huh. Maybe it was like one of those, I'm trying to think of like, because I feel like growing up there was a lot of like, you know, contention between like, you know, Christianity and science, but then there were some Christians who were like, no, God is in everything. So God is in science too. Oh, So maybe it was like similar to that of like, well, if God can be in the science, the devil can sure be in the science. I'm stretching. (laughs) You know, no. I mean, honestly, that makes more sense than my flippant, I don't know. So, (laughs) you know what's so funny is that in this book, he had people who were critics of the book. Like, duh, someone should be. (laughs) And one of them ended up writing a whole pamphlet arguing that this book was, like, not accurate or why why his argument wasn't, wasn't true. And... What's so weird is in this whole pamphlet of criticisms about the book, not once was like the witches and ghost part touched. Like no he way. like he went in truly for the science, critiquing the science, and like I guess he just saw that there was a chapter about a devil and just went, Never mind, I'm not gonna read that part. Whoa, oh that's so interesting. You would think if you wrote a whole science textbook and then threw demons in there, the first mm-hmm. person to send you a, like a critique, would, the first sentence would be like, yo, what the fuck is up with the demon chapter? <laughs> like maybe put that, maybe write a separate book. Do you want to like yeah. discuss that separately? No. And fucking everyone just totally, he must've really slipped it in there. Like, like a really wow. good pe- pill in the cheese. Okay. <laughs> so he wrote this hydrostatics book. Then he made an updated version that had the devil part in it that, people somehow just completely ignored Hmm. then that story i guess he realized like huh it didn't really do well in a textbook about science so let me republish the story of the devil in a different book about actual demons got it got it got it and so in 1685 george sinclair who is like writing all these like textbooks and shit he also writes a book called satan's invisible world discovered Ooh. And that's where he inserts the that story in for a second time, and that's when it gets super popular. Got it. Got it. And the book itself was, quote, an exploration of demonic activity and an attempt to refute atheism. Huh. So I guess to be like, oh, demons are real and therefore God's real. Oh, I see. Got it. And uh, so, yeah, so this is when the story blew up. And apparently this book was, like, actually super popular at the time. Like, Ooh. in the 1680s, like, everyone knew someone who had this book. The hottest um, read off the presses. Hey, all they had before was apparently, like, hydrostatic textbooks. And I... they were like, oh, and the same guy's now writing demon content. Let's get that one at the library. Okay, wait, that is really fun, though. <laughs> right? Doesn't that feel so weird? Yeah. It feels like a Carl Sagan thing with his book Cosmos. Like, if you're going to talk about the universe and science enough, I feel like it's expected that someone will ask you questions about spirits. But I maybe that's ah, me inserting that's my own point. interests. No, I, that makes sense. Because if you're already going into realms of, like, kind of, like, not conjecture, but, like, things that are beyond sort of normal understand or quote-unquote normal understanding, maybe it goes into that. I, I feel like... I feel like it's a like Carl Sagan and then after him like Neil deGrasse Tyson. I feel like I for some reason care so much about their opinions on like the afterlife and spirits. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's not too far off that someone who's already in science and talking about this kind of stuff would have an opinion. Yeah. Um so anyway, that's again just me totally just like 
a, a wild random thought of my own. But anyway, I'm trying to explain why on earth people took this seriously. So <laughs> the story itself that he wrote called The Devil in Glenless that he's now republished into this new story about Satan. Mm -hmm. uh, the setting of the story, it's actually a few years uh, earlier. It's in 1654. And it's in the rural village of Glenless, which I did see on the internet was in Galloway or Galway, Scotland. Got it. Um, it was like a smaller rural village in that area. Cool. So uh, the family that we're going to talk about is the Campbell family. The husband's name was Gilbert, and he was a weaver in town. Oh. And um, him and his family lived in Glenless. So he was married to a woman named Gristle Wiley, which, wow, okay. Crystal cool Wiley, also one I want to hear on a come up on a Ouija board. <laughs> right. That's absolutely one you can expect on a Ouija board. Um, and they had several kids, but the main ones for this story are Thomas and I think it's Janet. It was spelled differently, but mm. I think it over time developed into Janet. Got it. So it's Gilbert, his wife, Crystal Wiley, and then there are two kids that are crucial to the story, Thomas and Janet. One night, a beggar named Alexander Agnew, which hmm. weird that we knew the beggar's full name, but okay. Yeah, yeah. He knocks on their door and asks if they have any food or money and if they could help him. The Campbells didn't have anything, so they ended up turning him away. But as this beggar left, he threatened the family. And a lot of people like to start the story off by saying it was his doing that he like put a curse on the home. But oh. we don't actually know if it was related at all. It's just, I think, good storytelling. Sure. So the first thing, right after like he leaves, weird shit does start to happen in the house. Hmm. Um, and then there is some people who their theory of the story of, oh, the beggar like snuck into your house and caused all these problems. But uh -huh. it's just, again, that could be, you know, well, a, a version of storytelling. We have I, no proof of it. I feel like that's kind of the age old thing of like, is it? is it a ghost or did someone break into your house? Like the right. true crime versus paranormal, like both are scary. Which one is Even it? Even in the 1670s or whatever, we were thinking that, I guess. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, the first thing that they noticed was that there was a whistling that started being heard around the property. And it was hmm. like in the house, on the land, it didn't matter where you were, people could hear this whistling. And it went on for months, like Ooh. months and months and months. And it started to drive the family crazy. What I think is funny that you'll notice throughout this story is that the the demon, it's instead of like trying to harm anyone, it's like pure intention is to just annoy the shit out of them. <laughs> it's like, and so it started with this whistling where the family was like going crazy. They just could not figure out where it was coming from. Mm -hmm. um, one day Janet goes down to the well for water. And while she's there, she hears a very loud whistling in her ear. And then she hears this voice. She says it sounded like it was coming right next to her. Uh, the voice said, I'll cast thee into the well. Oh, I'll throw you in. And uh, I think there was another witness that said they also heard this. But either way, the story goes that Janet heard it like right in her ear, but nobody else was there. Um, or nobody else was that close to her to have said that. Ooh. So uh, the whistling apparently sounded, according to Janet, quote, as children used to make with their small slender glass whistles. Oh, which, oh, what? First of all, maybe I'm just from another time, but who are who's giving children small <laughs> slender glass whistles? Yeah, that sounds like a choking hazard. <laughs> Or a shatter hazard. Like, also like, that. <laughs> I feel like if you blow on this whistle a little too hard, you got little pieces of glass in your mouth. And like, great. 
I don't, I've never seen a glass whistle before. Like I think of kazoos where there was it just because a kazoo hadn't been, (laughs) hadn't been invented yet. They're like bright neon green plastic. (laughs) Not quite yet. (laughs) Not slender glass, like the olden times with your hoop and stick. So, uh, so apparently it sounded like those things that we have no frame of reference for. Gilbert started, not only was the whistling getting bad, but uh, Gilbert started finding all of his work equipment broken all over the house. Oh, no. And sometimes he, it would just go missing and found in totally weird places. Um, they, sometimes the missing items around his house would be found, uh, like, by the door or under the bed or, like, would just never be found at all. And I I guess his kids are trusting, but he went to them and they said, we're not doing that. Like, we don't know where your stuff is going. At the same time, it was probably super believable when the kids said, I don't know what's going on. Because very quickly after this, objects started flying around the house by unseen hands. Oh, okay. The family was getting grabbed and shoved. And apparently, (gasps) missing weaving equipment, including the needles, is now either showing up or the needles themselves are like pricking them in the back. (gasps) Oh, no. So, and sometimes the needles are being found, sometimes they're not. So it's almost like they're getting stabbed by this invisible needle that went, when the real needle went missing. Oh, no. So now they're getting, like, casually stabbed in their home. Just a Um, little casual weaving stabbing. You know, you know. I like to think with a weaving needle, I don't know how, I like to think it was dull. I... I don't know anything about weaving, but I do know that um, throughout the story, it does say that the kids and the family like never were truly, truly physically harmed. Okay. Um, so I'm thinking that if they were getting pricked by this thing, it was almost like they were more getting poked by a really dull stick. Got um, it. Yeah. I don't know what a weaving needle looks like. So I mean, I know what one of those big weaving looms looks like that has one That's of those. That's what like, I'm thinking too. Right? Yeah, that has that like shuttle thing that goes back and forth. Yeah. So I don't know. Let's let's hope it was not painful. Yeah. He also noticed that the threads that he used for work were being cut like they were literally with scissors just being sliced up. And then Ooh. not only was his own work equipment getting cut up, all of the family's linen. So <gasps> their hats, their clothing, their shoes, um, their bed sheets, uh, anything that you could take scissors or a knife to, they were finding it like randomly in their home completely shredded. God, that's really scary. That looks like, I feel like that would look like the aftermath of like, you know, what's the horror or like Edward Scissorhands or something, but like the, what's the other one that has the knives for? Oh, Freddy Krueger. Freddy Krueger. Yeah. That like, that was just like the aftermath or coming for you again. Like, by the way, um, Freddy Krueger, I, uh, oh, oh, a Pokemon card just got delivered. Um, (laughs) this house is just a, just a fun house for children. Fun house of 3 a.m. purchases. (laughs) I feel so bad for Allison sometimes. I realized that like yesterday I had a whole conversation with her about Pokemon cards while I was drinking my juice box and then like... (laughs) Something else happened, and then, like, I ended the conversation with being like, can you make me chocolate milk? Like, I was like, what is... I was like, I have just devolved as a human into either the best version of myself or the worst version, but, like, Allison works with all these, like, corporate people, and I was like, never tell them... Like, it's just gonna make you look so bad. Like, just like, oh, I talk about ghosts and drink my juice boxes. Like, it's so stupid. It might be a good recess for her. (laughs) It's certainly, um, it keeps her on her toes because she never knows how quickly I'm gonna fall into another, you know, I don't know, trend from 1993. 
Um, okay, so we were talking about, oh, the, all the clothes getting shred up, like Freddy Krueger. Yeah. Fun fact, I said this years ago, but I haven't brought it up in a long time. My aunt dated Freddy Krueger in um, college. Oh my god, wait, I feel like I vaguely remember you mentioning that. That's so <laughs> wild. Like, the actor? Yes. Uh, no, the, act- the actual <laughs> demon who visits your dreams. Yeah, Eva. He just sweeps on in. It's like, can you be a little more, like, consistent? The next time your sleep paralysis demon shows up, be like, um, I'm sorry, but you dated my friend's aunt. Um, do you not remember her? Leave me alone. Um, your Tinder profile wasn't very, like, appealing. Can you, like, move along, please? No, apparently his name is Robert England, I think. Um, oh. Yeah, they dated, I don't think for a long time, but they... Dated for a good time, so um, that's my that's my my only fun fact about Halloween and personal history. So I I say it too often, but uh, yes, it's exactly like if my aunt's ex boyfriend came to your house and ripped up all of his fucking clothes. So anyway, uh, even creepier, by the way. Spe- it's more Freddy Krueger than you think. It's oh not. It has nothing to do with. Um, it, I don't think it has anything to do with, like, when you're sleeping or whatever. But in the middle of the day, you would just realize that the clothes you had on that were fine earlier are now completely torn up on the Ew, sides of you. no. So it's like, like, you're not even doing anything, and all of a sudden it'll just sneak up and start cutting your, your stuff. Your would they, clothes. like, see the scissors or just the cuts would appear? It, it just appear. Ooh. I think I have a feeling they would feel the sensation of their shirt being cut, but they were never cut, which is another reason why they say like, oh, this thing never physically harmed them. I'm feeling if it like if it wasn't willing to cut them, it probably wasn't willing to stab them too hard. But yeah. I mean, it also sounds like it was a literal demon. So I don't yeah. know where its standards are. And it feels like probably at the time they wouldn't necessarily know that. So if they're seeing it being sliced, like, oh, my God, I would think my skin was next for sure. Oh, tr- I mean, it's at least the psychological torture is very much there. Yeah. I don't know what it is about like these 1600s demons from the UK, but now rocks start getting thrown at them. Y'all fucking love rocks getting thrown at you. Like that, (laughs) that seems to not be a thing in like a lot of American stories, but all of the super old school stories from the UK, there's a, a ghost that is throwing rocks at people. Huh? Um, maybe that was like going back to our real monsters and like monster school. Maybe that's what they learned in the UK ghost academy that right. i just Wait. created in my head you get it i get it so they're just getting pelted with rocks i feel like i just did another story where the family was getting pelted with rocks and gilbert notices that the rocks are being thrown in super high numbers at a great force which makes them think it's no way it's the kids anymore um because they're coming like down the roof they're coming down the chimney they're coming through the windows and the doors and the whole family's nice. there um again shockingly nobody's getting hurt it's just terrify them and furniture starts moving and drawers are opening and the contents of those drawers are flying everywhere oh god the bed sheets are getting ripped off of them while they sleep i mean it's you know their items and their articles of clothing are all getting destroyed um so it's just kind of the the whole the whole shebang if you will tornado like a paranormal tornado that is what it is. The twista, as I call it. Um, so Gilbert, I guess to at least keep his clothes safe from getting cut up, he brings them to the neighbors for safekeeping. He's like, I can't explain this to you. Can you just wash my clothes? Oh, help. And uh, so the 
his, I guess he had to eventually tell them what was going on. And so his neighbors and his friends were like, dude, like move away. What is wrong with you? It's like, yeah. why are you still there? And I guess they couldn't afford anything else as the old story goes. Yeah. Um, but they said, at least send your kids away because the, they, it wasn't like, oh, because the devil could be hurting one of them. It was like for science, which makes sense why George Sinclair would be into this story. Oh. But he uh they were like send your kids away to different locations and see which one of them the devil follows <laughs> oh my god kids as bait <laughs> they were like the kids literally might be the one that the demons after and it might be one in particular so figure out which one is the target and in that way you can at least like remove that child or something oh my god gilbert and his wife send the kids away and for those several days there was actually no activity in the house so oh shit Whichever Write us a letter. Tell us in a couple weeks. We'll know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, FaceTime me in 1680 and tell me which one of you is still getting cut. Oh, God. So the local minister, Minister Scott, uh, told him to actually bring the children back so that the whole family could pray together. Mm. And all the kids are coming back one by one. And then the kid, Thomas, comes home and activity starts up again. So mm. ding, ding, ding. We know who the target is. Well, that is such a scientific process. Hey, it worked. I'm not saying it was, it was like ethical science, but it was good science, you know? Um, so the first two days that Tom comes back on both of those days, a different fire breaks out in the house by itself. Oh, fire. We've moved up from rocks to fire. We've moved all the way up from like needles to rocks to fire. Oh God. Luckily, both times neighbors walking by saw the fire and were able to put it out. These neighbors, by the way, are like on top of it's like they've been waiting their whole lives for some sort of paranormal shit. They were like, oh, we already know what to do with the kids. We are we are prepared to like watch your house every second of the day to put out a fire. Wow. And Gilbert ends up asking the minister that he was talking to earlier. He says, can Tom go stay with you for a little bit while we figure this out? Because you're a holy man. As in like, you know, maybe he'll be safer there. Yeah. Uh, the minister takes Tom in, but I think his, I, one source told me that his clothes also started getting torn up. The minister? Uh, the minister. Whatever happened, the minister like literally brought the kid back. He was like, uh, no, no, thank you. Returning it's to like, sender. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So uh, he came back and apparently it got really bad again. And now the kid is actually getting like beaten by this <gasps> demon. Oh no. Um, so he had to move out again. The minister took him back and being like, okay, like, I guess my clothes can get cut up so a kid doesn't get hurt. Oh. So he goes back. This is like the third time he's been kicked out of his fucking house because oh he had to go God. be with a random person and now he's with the minister twice. So now while Tom's gone for the third time, the family keeps hearing this voice. Um, and at first they actually start trying to talk to this voice. Ooh. Um, they hear this demon I don't, I don't know. I guess it's maybe the same voice that Janet heard by the well earlier, but they start hearing oh. this voice talking to them. And so they start being, I guess, asking questions like, who are you? Or like some sort of like commanding questions that enable conversation because this thing started talking and talking, talking and never shutting up, which is, I guess, another way to annoy the hell out of this family. Oh my God. The very first podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And the the family eventually, they were like, I think it's best, like, we should have not done that. Let's just ignore whatever this voice is. Let's just ignore it. Mm. But it got to a point where they were so afraid that this voice would just take any opportunity to chime in and talk to them that the family stopped talking to each other, too. Oh, just, no. They just lived in silence hoping that this thing wouldn't try to talk to them. Is that like The Quiet Place? I've never seen it, but... 
Uh, no, but (laughs) (laughs) it's like, I know the word quiet is in it. So let me just (laughs) throw that out there. I mean, I guess it has overlaps in that they are both (laughs) quiet. Um, (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) It it is, there actually are some similarities to it, but it was in a quiet place. It's this monster that like, if it hears any sound, it like strikes to kill. So they have to be super quiet so that this thing doesn't find them. It. It's like they're like they know their prey. This thing they they just don't want to talk to it. It's like social anxiety. <laughs> this thing they're giving just giving the cold shoulder to. <laughs> yeah, this thing they're like if you look the other direction long enough he'll leave. Yeah. Um, Maybe he'll get the hint. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's the social version of a quiet place. <laughs> the minister starts hearing voices too when he brings uh when he goes back over to pray with the family again. Mm. So now the family isn't the only ones dealing with this. The minister has heard it. And uh, he decides, okay, I'm going to bring some other people over and uh, we're just, it's not just going to be me praying. I'm just going to bring like a whole group of people and let's just all pray over your family together and see what happens. Mm. Because now there's like been two fires and the kids are still getting harassed. And I'm sure the minister was like, I don't want this kid at my house anymore. My clothes keep getting scratched up. So like, let's just find a way as a community to make this work. He's also like, my clothes are very specific. Like, right. Like he has like, what are are they called? The, the things? Oh, the the big collar, the like ministers. The minister yesterday was called a black robe, right? Oh, that's right. Yeah. It's got some sort of black robe thing. I don't know. Rogue to rogue. (laughs) (laughs) He, uh, so he calls all of these people in town to, um, come pray over the family with him. I think there's about five people there in total. Mm. So I guess a lot of people were like, no, we've heard about this and want nothing to do with it. They're already hearing a voice, right? They're already hearing this voice talk to them as a family. Mm-hmm. Now the minister is really hearing the voice. And the devil, I guess, I'm assuming he's the devil, uh, uh, the demon who has been completely like cold shouldered by this family and has just <laughs> wanted someone to talk to this whole time. Oh. Uh, is very chatty today because the minister now comes in and is like, all right, let's fucking talk. Like, come on, demon, where are you? So this becomes what I consider the longest back and forth conversation with a demon I've ever seen in my life. Oh my gosh. Longer than the script from last week. I feel like the the last one you did, they had like a script, uh, like a back and forth script with uh, Elizabeth. It's kind of also another back and forth script, but I did, it won't feel like it, but I did limit it there was like several more pages i could have put in and it just all kind of felt like the same thing so i don't think we're really missing any like specific dirt um (laughs) you know all the demon dirt (laughs) no drama no i left all of the important stuff in so the minister comes over and all of a sudden he hears a voice and the voice says it's two latin words it says huam literarum oh and the, the what's really important about it is the fact that apparently the minister later said that those were the first words of the, quote, Latin rudiments that you learn in school. Oh, so okay. it was, I think it was like kind of that creepy demon thing where it was like playing into one of your memories or like it knew something about you that oh. like was important to you. So he says, Kuam Literarum, which I guess let the minister know like, oh, we're fucking going for it. We're in it. Yeah. Then he hears the demon's voice again say, a dog. What? In in now not Latin? 
and not in Latin. Now we're back to English, apparently. He was like, got uh, your attention. Now let's talk about this pup over here. <laughs> Honestly, you would have gotten my attention a lot more if you said a dog first. Yeah. I would have been like, True. where? But, yeah, show me. <laughs> so I guess the minister assumed that the demon was calling him a dog. And so the minister snapped at him, was like, he said something like, I'm not a fucking dog. Or like, yo, like, what's going on? The demon replies in very polite English. And says, it was not you, sir, I spoke it to. I meant by the dog there, for there was a dog standing behind your back. Uh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> the Stephen is like... He dumb. is... <laughs> this is an educated, scholar demon. To, he's got Latin. He's got proper English. He's got manners. He went to etiquette school, for sure. I mean, he's also maybe feeling a little sassy because no one was talking to him. And now he's like... No, I wasn't fucking talking to you. Yeah. Side. I want to get to this dog, please. <laughs> Only one of us can have an ego here, okay? <laughs> Don't think you're being... I'm giving you all my attention. Oh, my gosh. So uh, the men decide... When he says, like, oh, because there was a dog standing behind your back. The men decide that the demon is, like, trying to trick them. They're like, we don't see a dog. So they just start praying, and they hear a voice coming from under a bed. Hmm. And now it's still the demon voice. Now it's under the bed. And apparently not only in proper English, I guess it was in the proper country dialect. So it's now speaking just like them. And uh, the demon says, would you know the witches of Glenless? I will call them. There are witches now. There's witches and he's got them on speed dial. (laughs) He was like, no one else is talking to me. So I'm bringing all my friends over. This dog, these witches. (laughs) He was like, "Um, I'm not talking to you. I wasn't talking about you. Calm the fuck down. But also while you're here, do you happen to know all of the witches of Glenless? Um, So then I guess his version of the witches of Glenless, he just rattled off a few names of people in town that had bad (gasps) reputations. Oh, interesting. One of them, Gilbert later tells the group that one of them had actually died a while ago. So why is he mentioning this guy? And also, how did this voice know about this person who died? Yeah, that's interesting. So he says this, I guess, with an earshot of the bed, a.k.a. this voice with a proper dialect. Hmm. And so he says, like, oh, one of those names, that person just died recently. And the voice responds and, and says, it's true, she's dead, but her spirit is with us. Oh, so it's like okay. So now you like you know some Latin from his childhood, uh, the the minister's childhood. You know about the afterlife and who's with you. You are naming people in town. So like you have a lot of information about these 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 locals. Yeah. Um, and then the minister says, uh, basically he says, "Yo, back the fuck up." But <laughs> then the proper language, um, he says, "Quote." The Lord rebuke thee, Satan, and put thee to silence. We are not to receive any information from thee. Thou art but seeking to seduce this family, for Satan's kingdom is not divided against itself. So he's basically saying, like, okay, shut up. Like, we don't want to hear what you have to say. Also, stop inviting your friends over. We didn't say you could do that. (laughs) Also, stop rattling off names. Like, you, like, need the attention. Like, okay, you've got friends. Yeah, stop name dropping. We get it. I know. So at one point, Tom is uh, the kid that was, like, has been getting carted back and forth. I guess he came over with the minister. So he is home for this. Poor Tom. Like, couldn't Tom have just stayed home and, like, watched some prices Right and, like, eaten some soup and, like, called it a day? I mean, maybe no. the demon wanted to do that, too. <laughs> okay, fair. Also, I guess maybe the minister had to bring him to, like, almost, like, reel in the demon of, like, look, who's oh, here, your favorite target. Right. 
Which, like, wow, like, doing that with a kid, like, just luring in demons with this child. Yeah, yikes. So, uh, at one point, Tom hears uh, the demon's voice while he's at the house, and they're having this whole conversation. He hears the demon threaten him for coming back and saying, like, you knew better to stay away from here. Um, But the minister steps in, uh, sees the controversy happening, and says, the Lord will preserve this house and the lad, too. Like, oh, okay. God is protecting us and him, so, like, get out of his face. Hmm. The devil, or the demon, then says, he was put out already and shall not abide here, and I shall pursue him to the end of the world. Tom? Yeah, Tom. He's Aww. like, this, he already left. He knows better than to stay here, and I will follow him no matter what anyway. Oh, no. So the minister says, basically, like, God will stop you from bothering him. The demon says, we'll leave the house for a week and I'll leave for good. He doesn't say it as, like, sassy as I just did. It's, like, much more, like, old English. But he basically says, like, if you leave the house for a week, I'll make a deal with you and I'll officially leave too. But then the minister, I guess his thought process was, like, if you do that, you are obeying a demon and it's, like, almost giving him more power. So it's a trick. Okay. So the minister was like, God will remove you. Like, we don't have to go anywhere. God will remove you for us. Okay. And the demon is like, I won't be removed. I'm here to torment the family. And then the minister's like, well, God will stop you eventually. It's such a back and forth. This is why I didn't put all of the information in. Um, or like how I said, there's like several more pages of dialogue. It's like, it feels like people breaking up and they're just like, you know, why don't you just leave? Well, I'm not going to leave. Well, then I'll leave, but don't you leave. So it became this like weird, like catty, unimportant conversation as far (laughs) as I'm concerned. The the last parts I'll say of the conversation, the, the demon says, I, sir, have a commission from God, which perhaps will last longer than you, which was implying like, I'm here for a lot longer than you'll be on earth. Oh, and interestingly, he ended up predicting the fact that less than a year later, the minister did die. <gasps> what? Oh, my so, God. In this, he was kind of taunting, like, you're not going to be here forever. And the demons, I don't know. It was a weird co- coincidence. Huh. So after uh, the prayers, uh, after, like, all these, this group of people are here and still praying. This, By the way, like, they all came over here, I'm assuming being told like oh the minister is like gonna lead us through this prayer but they're all praying and the minister is like just like catty with the demon like <laughs> i would be there praying being like dude like can you help us like where yeah. what are we supposed to do you're leading this shit tell us what to say tell us what to do power numbers and he keeps getting distracted by just hanging out with the, the devil i guess after enough of this conversation, I guess they all kind of got fed up and started exploring the house and they were trying to find out where this voice was coming from, thinking maybe they were being tricked. And so they go into the kid's bedroom and they said like, oh, well, some of the kids were in bed at the same time that we heard a voice under this bed. Maybe it's hmm. just the kids. Okay. Like maybe this isn't real. And so they started thinking like, oh, we're being tricked. We're being bamboozled. And then the demon voice, which like, all the kids, I guess, either aren't in bed right now. I hope they're not in bed. Like, there's a literal kind of, like, exorcism thing going on right now. Yeah. So I hope the kids are not in the house yeah. or they've, like, gone down to the kitchen for a snack. Or, like, in the prayer circle or something. Like, in the middle of a Somewhere. or something. Yeah. Meanwhile, Tom is, like, strapped to a burning chair or something. Poor like, Tom. <laughs> Tom's like, hi, uh, please stop making me bait. <laughs> well, so then they, uh, I guess... 
at a time when the kids weren't in the room, they heard the voice again, kind of confirming mm. like, oh, it's not the kids like we thought it gotcha. was. And the voice, I guess, was offended at the thought that it might not be an actual demon. It could just be like simple human children. So the demon gets all angered up. And he says, you lie. God shall judge you for your lying. And I and my father will come and fetch you to hell. Okay, oh. so we just learned two things. One, apparently his father is Satan. Okay. Two, loving that he needs daddy's help. Of like, yes, I will call my father. He's like, I'm he, going to tell my dad. <laughs> he's going to bring you down to hell for me because I can't do it alone. <laughs> so uh, the minister then says, the Lord rebukes your spirit and casts you out. And the demon replies with, it is written in 9th of Mark, the disciples could not cast him out. So I guess after that, it becomes like, the the second that the minister heard the demon reciting Bible verses, I guess he took it as a challenge. And for (laughs) truly reading this, it felt like it took a million years. It was like three pages of old English of them just like duking it out in some weird scripture battle of like they just kept shouting verses to each other and as someone who has not read the bible i was very confused (laughs) i was like what are we what is going on as someone who has read the bible i probably would have been confused and also over it (laughs) like and like it was also in like the weird english so i kept trying to translate something i ultimately wouldn't even understand and so it was just trust me that i'm gonna end it here for you where it's like he mentions one bible verse about how like the disciples couldn't cast him out and the minister took that as a challenge. And for the next three pages, they just like shouted verses at each other. They're like one up each other on Bible yes, knowledge. Exactly. The minister was like, this demon's not going to like pull a fast one on me. So after all of that, basically the minister says like, who are you? Where did you come from? And the demon says he is quote, an evil spirit come from the bottomless pit of hell to vex this house. I looked up what vex means, and it literally just means, like, to annoy the family. (laughs) So he literally (laughs) is like, I am just the son of Satan, and clearly I'm just, like, a bored teenager, and I'm here to piss off the family because I can. Wait, I love that. I love that it started and ended like that. (laughs) Yeah, I know. So uh, then out of nowhere, a did not see this coming, a disembodied arm shows up in the room. Oh, no. From... Elbow to hand, elbow to fingers. Ew. And this hand starts banging on the floor. No. And tries to make the house rumble, like make it shake. Um, And then you hear the demon's voice saying, come up, father, come up. I will send my father among you. Wait, what? That's like a, it seems like a play or something. Like they're trying to get the trap door open. It it feels like this demon is trying to like overtake this exorcism. Like he's like, now they're both trying to summon a different demon. I don't really understand. Whoa. But anyway, he's saying like, I am the son of Satan. We will bring you to hell. And now like, come on up, father. Like it's time to help me cart these people off. Oh my God. And I guess Gilbert, the the main husband of this family, who is watching all this happen, I guess he, I, it felt like he was taunting the demon. He basically said, like, oh, just like how I can hear you, I'd love if I could actually see your face. Like, it's a shame, like, you're not powerful enough to do that. Oh, That's I'm sorry. Zach Baggins? <laughs> Hello? It's his father, Gilbert Baggins, okay? Do you mind? Great, 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 great grandfather. <laughs> his great grandpappy, Gilbert Bagel Bites. Um... So 
he basically I and it felt like taunting. That's not actually in the, the writing, but that's just kind of how I took it. Where he was like, Oh, I'd love if I could actually see you. And the demon says, Well, put out the candle and I shall come among you like fireballs. Which also sounds like something Zach Bagans would say. Yeah. Um but he basically says, like, put out the candle and in the dark I'll let you see me indeed. Hmm. Um the demon then says at some point, by the way, has not shown himself, so calling bullshit. He then says, if your son's prayers did not prevail with God, uh, it's old Englishy, but he basically says, if your prayers to God aren't working, then my father and I will be victorious. Mm-hmm. But one of the people praying says, ah, so you admit that there's a God and we can get rid of you by praying to him. Oh. And... This man, I guess, had just, like, bought a new hat or something in town. Um, So this, again, this demon feels like a sassy adolescent who's, like, just trying to get in all of his gotchas. Yeah. And so um, when the man calls him out and says, like, oh, so you're saying, like, if we pray to God, you'll go away. In some weird last-ditch effort to, like, diss him, the demon says, sir, you speak of prayer with your broad-lipped hat. I'll bring a pair of shears from my father and and clip the lips of it. Okay, I get why people think these are the kids now because like Truly. not that I think they are, but like that is a very sassy like child adult like, like teen thing to say. Like he like like he got caught in the fact that he admitted that God was real, so now the demon's like, "Well, I'm going to cut up your brand new hat, make you feel real dumb." And uh <laughs> that'll show you, won't it? <laughs> that'll show you and that'll it also feels in my mind this demon's gay. Like I just feel like I'm getting this like diva fashionista thing coming from him, like kind of like the the trope of like someone who's like, you know, super diva-y. I don't know why, yeah. but I think also because I was reading all of this old English for hours and it just also feels very flowery and like, well, yeah. And it's like, what's the know? worst that like this demon is trying to think of the worst thing and what's the worst, the worst thing possible is that he your fashion sense. Your fashion, Are you kidding? Your I mean, he's like, I get that. It's just like, uh, all I'm doing is feeding into stereotypes and <laughs> not trying to, but I am getting a vibe from this demon <laughs> that like, he really likes to go attack your style. I mean, he's literally destroying their entire wardrobe. <laughs> oh my God. That's right. Right. Like he is not, I'm just saying. So, uh, he says, like, I'll basically bring a pair of, like, scissors straight from hell and cut your hat up. Which and we already know he had scissors because he's been cutting, right? You, like, he's been saying. doing it the whole time. Yeah. I'm thinking of, like, a Tim Gunn on, like, fashion project, <laughs> or what's it? That, project Runway. Project yeah, Runway. Yeah. I feel like he's just like, oh, we, it's time to cut this up, you know? It's time to make it something new. So he, what's interesting, and to answer your question earlier about, like, were they feeling the shirt get cut or not? Oh, or yeah. were they just looking down and seeing it cut? After he, like, disses this guy and says, like, oh, your brand new hat. Which, by the way, I love that he already knew that this guy had a brand new hat. Like, he could yeah. see it from a mile away and was like, I know a new hat when I see one. <laughs> but I guess after he, like, dissed this guy who was wearing the hat, he actually f- heard and felt thick scissors cutting through his hat. And so he lifted it up to check on it to see if it was being cut. So I'm thinking that's what happened with the family earlier where they would feel their shirts being, like, tugged on with scissors. Got it. Got it. At one point, he threatens one of... This is where it, like, gets, like, dark again. At one mm. point, he threatens one of the kids uh, with a belt, saying that Ooh. he will tighten it around their bones. Oh! It's a new threat. Yeah. And then he tries to get Gilbert's wife to give him some bread, which is, like... 
Bread candle? Would you like a bread candle? Honestly, I did not see the ties until this moment that maybe he just wanted a bread candle. Maybe a seance um, with bread candles would have like you get sent it. him back. Yeah. You get it. Or I like that he was like, I imagine he was just so tired of like this back and forth. And he was like, do you have any carbs? Like I need, like I need something <laughs> it's like, to keep going. It's like Michael Scott carbo loading before the race. <laughs> So apparently, like, the wife did come in and, like, literally brought all these people praying bread, which I love that, like, in, it, like she's, like, the soccer mom with oranges. Like, during halftime, she brought them some bread to, like, charge up yep. for the rest of their praying. Love it. And at that time, the demon's voice said something like, oh, break me off a piece of the bread. Um, but I <laughs> guess the, the minister, again, was like, first of all, that's obeying the demon. And mm -hmm. that's breaking bread with the demon is literally making a sacrifice to him oh, so shit. don't listen to him um also like where is he where was this where was she gonna toss the bread to like give him some i mean if he, the disembodied arm is still there he was like hi oh hello, yes. can i grab some and then you see some disembodied teeth all of a sudden show yeah. up <laughs> yeah uh, so after this horror, this, all of this, everyone starts going home cause they're like, we are not getting anywhere. The minister told the family to ignore whatever the demon said to just pray through it. Cause that seemed to be working. At least he like, wasn't talking during that. And the demon hears this and freaks out that he'll get like neglected again, I guess. Cause he goes, what will you not speak to me? I shall strike the children and do all manners of mischief. Oh no. So. Everyone took it as, like, a trick, so they tried to not respond to him. And as the minister was about to leave, um, the demon says to Gilbert's wife, Gristle Wiley, Gristle, put out the candle. And as I guess the minister is like, don't listen to him. Like, he's trying to pull a fast one on us. And I guess she, so she doesn't put out the candle. And the demon starts getting really pissed off that, like, now all of a sudden they're not talking back to him. They're not doing what he asks. And so he's saying, like, put out the candle, put out the candle, put out the candle. And he's doing it faster and more aggressively and louder until eventually their his voice sounds like it's in their heads of like put out the candle i guess eventually they were just so annoyed by him which is what he wanted anyway yeah. that they did put out the candle and in a very anticlimactic ending the demon i guess realized this was just his fate that he would be like kind of a big eye roll for the family and nothing else was going to come from it once they put out the candle he just said i'll trouble you no more oh so it was, I think he kind of gave up. He was like, the fun is over. Like, people are getting tired of me. So I guess I, I'm i losing losing people's interest. So I'm going to go away. Oh, my gosh. He was like, no bread. You're not talking to me. I'm bored. I got to go. Yeah, exactly. I, I already cut up the fashionable hat. So right. there's nothing <laughs> right. more I can do here. <laughs> so uh, he said, I'll trouble you no more. So after this, the family did experience some more instances of violence. But I guess it started dying down. Um but it was still enough to freak Gilbert out. And he asked the ministers, uh, he asked the minister later on, like, should I just move my family? What should I do? Which like at this point, Gilbert, like you clearly don't want to move the family. Like no. you had a lot of time to have made this decision by now. Yeah. The ministers agree to help him again. And the activity does seem to die down for a little bit, but the new activity surfaces where the, uh, entity began hiding the family's food, particularly <gasps> their meat, which oh. to me is the meanest, most frustrating yeah. thing you could do. They they would find meat like in the doorposts and Ew. in their clothes. Yeah, that's also so like a unsanitary and b like if you don't find it soon enough, you probably find it because it starts smelling. So your house smells like rotting. Exactly. Meat. That's the awful. only clothes you have without tears and rips in them smells like funky meat yeah Ugh. 
Um, sometimes it, all their food went entirely missing and was never found again. Um, and the food would literally sometimes even get snatched out of their hands or thrown at them when they were looking for it. Oh, God. Uh, the demon also started keeping them up at night with loud shuffling and growling and verbal threats of burning the house down. And after actually like threatening one time that he was going to burn the house down, only a few nights later, one of the beds caught on fire. Oh, shit. Um, which, again, people think like, oh, it could be a kid burning his own bed if this is like the story that he's been keeping with. Yeah. Um, but eventually the activity did, I, maybe that one last fire was like the last real attempt at getting their attention and it didn't work because after that, the activity did die down. It left the family alone for good. And the family ended up living there for many more years. Um, and most obviously think that the demon was a hoax or one of the children or something. The only thing that's interesting is how something threw its voice that well, um, that I can think of, uh, and the story they say the story could have been completely made up or a real story that was enhanced for entertainment. So maybe it wasn't really a demon, but it just kind of became a story about a demon. Hmm. They also think that George Sinclair could have written the story himself since he intentionally was putting the story in a book to prove that God is real. Oh, right. I forgot that this was like in a minerals textbook. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> this is like, this is like the reward you get after finishing that really complicated chapter. You Wait. Know? Oh my God. Question. What? Well, I know you said, so a lot of stories involve rock throwing, but he was a <gasps> mineral scientist, a mineral scientist, Yo, right? a mineral surveyor, one. coal person. Yes. Was no, that, that the connection? So Actually, I don't know, but that's so smart. Maybe he heard the story and he like didn't really believe in any of it, but then he heard about the rock throwing and he was like, that's something I relate to. And Peaked that was interest. like, what kind of rocks? <laughs> Maybe that was his first inspiration with the story, where he was like, oh, rocks, you say? Okay. Mm, I'll come take a look at your demonic rocks. That'll interesting. be interesting. I did not even put that together, Eva. So smart. Mm. Uh, one thing, too. So he does say that he got this story from... Uh, so this is going to be kind of like a breaking the fourth wall situation. But So George Sinclair wrote this story or put the story out about the Campbell family, right? And there uh -huh. was Gilbert and Tom and all them. He got this story specifically from the son, Tom, who, like, was getting harassed by this demon. Mm -hmm. I guess he actually knew them in real life. And Tom, I think one source said that he was actually living with George Sinclair for a time. Because oh. he, was a, he was a student at the school that George was a professor at. Oh, wow. And so I think maybe, like, they probably, I imagine, I'm totally making up the situation, but I imagine over, like, dinner and like you awkwardly live with the professor or like the chair of your department and you're trying to just like make up conversation and maybe they found out that they had a common interest in like he liked the occult and demonology mm -hmm. and tom was like oh i've got a story from my childhood you might be interested in yeah and that that might be that might be where they clicked or something but totally making that up i'm totally guessing but in some way, George Sinclair apparently inherited the story from Tom Campbell and then wrote the story about them to put into his next book. Wow. If that makes sense. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they think that either the story is completely fake, it was a boring story that got enhanced for entertainment, uh, George Sinclair created it completely on his own in a way, or at least spiced it up so that it would prove that God exists, or they think that when Tom told him the story... He could have totally made it up to like impress his professor 
or oh. or he he could have been telling a more enhanced version of his childhood or told a faulty childhood memory version of this story so interesting there's a lot of what ifs on the accuracy something tells me it's not 100 percent true yeah. um but I did want to say two fun facts. Uh, the location of the home, if you happen to be in this area, uh, I guess the place is now known as Geist-ha. It's G-H-A-I-S-T. Instead of, it's like ghost, but an A-I instead of an O. Oh. Geist. And then H-A apostrophe. I have no idea how huh. to pronounce that properly, but that is allegedly the location of where the Campbell home used to be. There was like a whole website where someone who likes the story enough actually tried to like map out where all the locations were. It was oh. very interesting. So the, the, the area of the home is guys ta and the well where they first heard the demon speak for the first time is now known as deals. Well, which is D E apostrophe I L almost like, Oh, Dell's well, like devil, maybe. Oh, it's devil, but an apostrophe instead of the V. Oh, interesting. So maybe it could be devil's well. And there's also a space in that area also called Campbell's Croft, which might be about the Campbell family. Oh, interesting. Anyway, if you live near there and you care about locations to my stories, you can go there and, if, you know, soak it all up. And then the last fact that I have is that the beggar from the story from the the very beginning, Alexander Agnew. Oh, yeah. He is also involved in local history in a different way, because not only was he the beggar in this story, but he was also known as the Jock of Broad Scotland. And two years after he would have allegedly knocked on the door and been turned away and cursed the Campbell family, Mm -hmm. two years later, he was hanged at Dumfries for blasphemy. Oh. Because he... I guess before he died, they asked him for the last time, is there a God? This was his response. He said, quote, I know no God, only salt, meal, and water, which uh, a and lot of people. Sorry. What's that? And rock. <laughs> and rock. Yeah. And mineral coal. <laughs> so I guess, uh, I guess when the beggar, so he, when he got hanged for blasphemy and his response was, I only know of salt meal and water they tried to use that in the story or people have tried to use that with the story and say that like he might have been the one harassing the family the whole time because all he wanted was salt meal and water when he came begging at the house yeah um and of course he would be the demon because he knows no god he only knows like food and the things that will help him survive it became like this weird additional allegory or this weird theory about like how he inspired the story from the beginning. I don't know. It just became a weird thing. But anyway, oh, that is the story huh. of the devil of Glenless. Oh my gosh, Em, that's so interesting. Wait, I have a question. Did they think that, so they just thought that it was a story based on the beggar or they thought that the beggar was actually the one they, kind of harassing them because of... I think one of the theories is that the beggar might have been the person pulling the strings and been the oh, demon the whole time. Got it. Or this was just fanciful writing that the the beggar gave the author some inspiration, like some way to bookend oh, the story of like, I see. he could have just honestly been like a storytelling ploy in bookending of, you know, oh, he started the story by harassing the family and then he ended up dying later because he knew no God or something. It's just, Oh, gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. Who knows? It was, it's just, he somehow got inserted into the story a lot of times when he was just like, 
a homeless person who ended up dying of blasphemy. So I'm not wow. too sure. Oh my gosh, that's so in- that whole story was so interesting, Em. It feels like it was such a bookend too of like I forgot like about the beggar, I forgot about the that it was like a textbook from the beginning and all of yeah. that came back. At the end of the day, it's the most interesting textbook you could hope to ever find in like an <laughs> antique store from the 1600s. Oh, please God, if someone finds that textbook. Please, if there, if someone could actually find me like hydrostatic <laughs> bodily fluids or whatever it was called, I don't remember. Oh I God. want that book so bad just so I can see the the demonic story inserted into the scientific pages. Yes. Wait, that would be such a good present for Christine too with all of her like you know, the, um, like, prescription that she, the, like, Ugh. whiskey prescription, and then the, the witch uh, wow. thing Cr- that you Christine gave us is, Christine is not here, so we have full, like, potential to tell that's everybody true. everything we saw in her house, because it blew both of our minds. Oh, that's true. Oh, Christine's house, house so was so pretty. It, it was, blew my freaking mind, because I'd only ever seen... I'd only seen what everyone on YouTube had seen, which was yeah. her face in that little corner of that one room. And I knew nothing else about that house. And I guess she had kept forgetting that, like, I hadn't seen yeah. her home before. But when we first got there, you and I were both literally jaw dropped. Oh, yeah. Was... We were like, wow, this is, like, historic. It's, like, beautiful. Also, even just, like, panning out from the screen, uh, like, the YouTube screen. It's yes. like, her podcast room is so Insane. nice. It's so pretty. Yeah, yeah, It yeah. was all pretty. Anyway, oh, Christine, if you're beautiful. listening... And your stupid, beautiful house. Um, we wish we were there. <laughs> so. We're also haunting it. We are in your crawl spaces. <laughs> yeah, if you hear a bump upstairs, that was me. Oops. That was us. And that's why We Drink is sponsored by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With Squarespace, it's easy to create a beautiful website all on your terms. You don't want to miss Fluid Engine, a next-generation website design system from Squarespace with reimagined drag-and-drop technology for desktop or mobile. I don't know this for a fact, but it's my opinion that there is no easier way to build a website than Squarespace because of this drag-and-drop technology. It gets better every year, and it is just, you when you think it can't get any better and easier, it does. I've been using Squarespace <laughs> since 2017. Um, And in that time, they have just proven themselves to be the best and easiest way to make a website. So anytime I make a website for any reason, that's where I go. When you're ready to get started, you can use one of Squarespace's professional website templates with designs for every category, and then you can customize it. You can customize the look, add new content, add features to fit your unique needs. It's just a great spot to have a landing page for you, for your business, for whatever it is you're trying to market or showcase. Squarespace is the best platform to use, in my opinion. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash drink to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. It feels very fitting that Juniper is currently sitting on my lap uh, because we all want our cats to be healthy and happy because when they're happy, we're happy. But because we're not mind readers, we don't always know when they're unwell. And in my experience, cats are not the most, you know, open when it comes to sharing their woes. And there goes Junie, literally jumped right off me. So helping us keep tabs on our cat's health is just one reason you should use Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter's ultra absorbent crystals trap odor instantly. No more cat bathroom smell, thank God. Pretty Litter's super light crystal base also minimizes mess and dust. Plus, the crystals last up to a month, which means less scooping and fewer trips to the garbage can for Blaze, because that's his job. Here's the coolest thing about Pretty Litter. It changes colors to help monitor early signs of potential illness in our cats, including urinary tract infections and kidney issues. And Pretty Litter ships free right to your door in a small, lightweight bag. Pretty Litter 
has changed the game. The litter box is right near Leona's room, and so it is very delightful to not have that litter smell all the time when she's taking a nap. Plus, we can rest easy knowing that Juniper and his little kidneys are healthy. Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. Go to prettylitter.com slash ATWWD and use code ATWWD to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash ATWWD, code ATWWD to save 20%. prettylitter.com slash ATWWD, code ATWWD. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. All right. Tell me, tell me uh, your second tale. <gasps> my second tale. Oh my gosh. Well, first, thank you. That was such a good story and I loved it. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. it. Well, I try, I was like, what can I do for episode 250? And that was kind of the best I, I could come up with. Conjure I... up. Oh, you conjured a story about a bread demon. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite little gluten monster. So. Gluten monster. Oh my god, I love that. Sesame Street, are you listening? I would like you to do a character called the Gluten Monster, and I would like to voice him and act him and eat all of the food he has to eat. (laughs) And yeah, as as a character study, we would like all of the bread sent to us, pretty please. (laughs) Okay, let me find my... Those are not my notes. Where did they go? Uh Uh-oh, just kidding, they're right here. Okay. LOL, can you imagine if you just didn't have no... You know what? I would be like, you know what, Eva? We're already doing... This is such a big ask. You could just not have done them. I'll understand. I found them. Hooray. Um, I'm actually... Okay, so these notes are especially great and fun. And I think I mentioned last time uh, my trial crew friends that I Mm -hmm. meet up with to listen to and watch all the true crime stuff. Um, They... So Ellen, in particular... God bless, because Ellen, when she found out I was doing this, and I think Rachel might have, like, God said something. Rachel. Yeah, I think Rachel was like, hi, Ellen, ask for Eva if she needs help. Um, Ellen was like, hey, do you need help or want help with notes? And I was like, yes, please. Yes, please. <laughs> I, truly, I, we, I feel like everyone does need to take a moment and appreciate, like, this isn't just, like, you popping on and, like, just... T- committing an hour of your time or two hours of your time like it sounds like we're complaining about nothing but to do <laughs> to do research for these stories takes a long time and for you to be able to come on and do four weeks of this is like you don't realize how helpful you're being and Aww. everyone in the world should do a little clink and cheers for Eva because Aww. this is it's very it's very very nice for you to I totally understand why you would be asking other people for help. <laughs> I would also like to ask other people for help. So I get oh, it. Well, I appreciate it. And I also, I was telling them earlier, I have a whole new respect for both of you in terms of like, you know, when we were touring, you know, the first go round and you got, you both were doing like notes on planes, you know, and all of that, like having to like cram it in. I just was like, oh my gosh, like, wow, you guys both did so much work. And... Well, thank you. That's why we now have a scripted show, which by yeah. the way, shout out, if there's any yeah. tickets left to our tour, please come. Oh my gosh. So excited about that um so yeah oh my gosh huge shout out to Ellen because Ellen is like basically the the one in trial crew who like will actually listen to court transcripts will like like she was she was into into true crime before it was cool before like all the gotcha. the hype of it so she already had just written out a bunch of different stories and so she was like you can use these I'm not using these so wow god bless oh thank my you gosh. Ellen all wow of, woo, love you love all of you guys in trial crew it just as soon as she mentioned that I was like wow I feel so much more like like empowered to to um 
like know what to talk about. And it kind of reminded me too, again, of like, oh, I've always loved, you know, be, you know, I've always been interested in this kind of thing. And yeah. Um, so especially the story in particular, because so I had initially heard this story on a really early My Favorite Murder episode, mm. and then I mentioned it to Ellen, and Ellen was like, oh, yeah, I know that story. And so we talked <laughs> about it for, like, hours one time at Trial Crew. It was so cool. And then I just loved that that was, like, one of hers on here because I was like, oh, my God, that I remember being so, like, mind-blown by this case. Um, so, yeah, huge shout-out to Ellen, huge shout-out to Trial Crew, huge shout-out to Rachel. Uh, thanks everyone (laughs) (laughs) thank you everyone who has made this possible in any way yeah thank you my favorite murder for initiating the conversation truly yeah so my sources definitely are ellen Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, i did take ellen's notes and i added i you know watch i listened to the episode again i like you know read a bunch of articles actually there was one la times article that was really interesting so that was one of my sources um, but yeah, I used Ellen's notes. I used my favorite murder episode 72 called Steven it out. Mm. Um, the LA times article from 1991, um, Wikipedia and murderpedia. Gotcha. Cool. So, okay. As I say all of this without even saying what I am covering. So this is probably as frustrated as everyone is with me when I am so long winded with all my, <laughs> whatever, just what is, what is it? What is it? What is it? We're here. We're here. Okay. So this is the story of the pillow pyro. A what now? The, the pillow pyro. So pillow someone's going to set a pillow on fire. Is it the demon I was just talking about? Correct. With some bread. Along okay. The way. <laughs> got it. Got it. Um, okay. So the story starts in the 1980s. It's known as the Pillow Pyro case. And I was going to say it's in honor of fire season because <laughs> fires are old, but like fires are always happening here. And it just is, it feels kind of ever. Also, is it astrologically point. fire season? What is it right now? Oh, is that's it, a good point. Oh, it's Libra season. Libras are not fire. Oh, okay. Oh, well, we tried. Oh, we did try. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, okay. So this does actually factor into the sort of the initial telling of the story because um the my favorite murder episode karen having lived in southern california during the time that this was happening was really interesting because she was like yeah i remember this there were just fires everywhere oh like, shit just literally everywhere and kind of in a bigger way like a different way than they are now like you know now we hear about like the big like altuna fire or the big mm-hmm. like fire in malibu or you know those specific ones yeah. and then you hear about where they go and where they spread this was more like fires being started, like brush fire here, brush fire there in different oh, places. weird. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it was costing, costing millions of dollars in damages and sadly cost four lives. <gasps> okay. So, yeah. Got it. So we start here with October 10th, 1984. In South Pasadena, a huge fire erupted actually in a hardware store. Oh. Yeah. So the hardware store is called Ole's Home Center. And sadly, in that fire is where the four people were killed. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. So also kind of in an homage to Christine's stories, this gets really sad really fast. Um, (laughs) Okay. Great. Yeah. I thought I could evade that during her maternity leave and everyone (laughs) would come here with happy crimes if Mm -hmm. that existed. But Okay. We got a little little trick-or-treat one last time, but this one gets pretty sad pretty fast. So the four people that were killed were two employees, one 17-year-old employee, 
one 26-year-old oh. mother of two. Oh, shit. Then a grandmother and her two-year-old grandson. God, wow. It got so much worse every time. It's so Jeez. bad. It's, that's, that's awful. So, so bad. Wow. Um, so in terms of like how big and intense that fire was in the um, the hardware store, Karen's telling of it is from an old Forensics Files episode. Okay. Um, and so in that Forensics Files episode, there's an interview with another store employee who did survive. Basically, this he was saying like, yeah, I survived, but like it was so like just walls of fire. I can't. Inside. I mean, the, the trauma. I, I will never be able to wrap my head around. But knowing mm. also that like you were in something where four people died, like. Yeah, and also like, could have been you. Yeah, and also he suffered from trigger warning for burns, very intense burns to the point that he touched his arm and skin fell off. Oh shit! Like that oh kind my of god! Burn. Wow! Uh, Holy crap! So okay. super not great. Um, obviously the fire department comes, they put out the blaze. The um, building is completely demolished, um, and then uh, initially it's ruled an electrical fire. Okay. the initial, um, like, kind of the, the, all the arson investigators and fire department, you know, are there the next couple days, and that's how that's their initial ruling. But arson investigator John Orr arrives on the scene and takes a look around and says, no way, you guys are wrong, this is arson. Oh, shit, okay. Yeah, and John Orr knows his shit. Like, he's been at the Glendale Fire Department for 11 years, He's had a super illustrious career in fire rescue. He's been in the Air Force on the airplane crash and rescue fire team. Whoa. And, yeah. And then like quickly rose through the, the ranks to arson investigator in Glendale. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And what's so, his name? Uh, John Orr. John Orr. Okay. O-R-R. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, so as Ellen puts it, he taught seminars, he wrote essays on firefighting. He had decades of experience under his belt. Cool. Um, so everyone was like, Okay. This is arson. So they started looking into it more. And they discover that the fire was set using a homemade incendiary device that was made from a lit cigarette with three matches around it. Oh. All wrapped. So it was like, a, it wasn't like arson, like, oh, a cigarette caught something else on fire that caught, like, this was an intentional. The, yes. It was It like, was its own little stick of fire. Yeah. Uh, yes, exactly. It was. Wow. So, the, the lit cigarette had the three matches around it. It was wrapped in yellow writing paper, like a legal pad paper. Mm. And then all of that was rubber banded together and then wow. thrown into the bedding section. So literally. Oh, for fuck's sake. Okay. So on fire. I see now where the name comes from. Yeah. I got it. Got it. Okay. And it's thought that like the, the way that like, you know, as cigarettes go down, that's when the match is lit. And then it, so it gave the person time to like throw it and leave so it's thought that that person wasn't just like throwing it and then being there when it happens it also makes me think the person like this was not his first time committing arson if he already kind of like oh well if i do this the fire will burn this amount of time and i can it feels like it it was like practiced or at least not you know your first fire very thought through for sure yeah Mm -hmm. Um, so the Wikipedia article that I read about it said that this created what's called quote flashover, which means that the fire basically consumes like everything that's combustible lights on fire, like the same time, instead of like spreading like fire usually does, it just is immediately like up. And that's why there were like, just like walls of fire. Okay. Got it. So, so wild. So then we kind of cut to a couple years later in January of 1987, um, there's 
an arson investigators convention in Fresno. And basically it becomes a little bit like it sort of arising or um, uh, arousing suspicion because there are a bunch of fires that break out around this convention area. Okay. In ba- yeah. Up in Bakersfield and Tulare. So not quite oh. the same area, but still in California and sort of in the general vicinity. Yeah. Um, and they also start looking like arson. So we have another character here. So Bakersfield fire captain Marvin G. Casey starts looking into it more. And here's where things get kind of wild, like a little more wild. So he starts connecting the dots on the map and is like, wait a minute. A ton of these fires are starting in the same areas as fire and arson conventions, like the one in Fresno. Oh, okay. Yeah, so now I'm going to take you on a journey involving fingerprints. (gasps) Please do. (laughs) Oh, my God. Also, side note, John Orr and Marvin G. Casey sound like they were fucking meant to be firemen. Well, and also, I feel like I did, I was, like, so involved in that story last, the last story I did in, like, the 1950s, and I feel like these names still are very, like, they feel like from a different time almost. It's, I don't know why. It's kind of why. I mean, it's such a, like a stupid thing to say, but like, it really is wild how some names just sound like they were meant for a decade or a profession or. Yeah. It's, yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Sorry. Yes. Please take me on this fingerprint <laughs> journey. <laughs> well, no, I was going to say it does. Sound, it's kind of like the way that some names, like I feel like every time someone says the name of like their high school rival or their high school, mm-hmm. like boyfriend, I'm like, yeah, that's a high school name. <laughs> Even yes, though that person exactly. is still walking around <laughs> with that name. <laughs> I understand like I there's certain and what's interesting is my two rhyme but Chelsea or Kelsey if you're a Chelsea or Kelsey you are just perpetually in high school in my mind like there's no there there's you never you won't graduate like you just it's not because you're not capable but because you are stuck in time for sure oh for sure Kelsey's I've never known a Kelsey outside of high school that's yeah I've never met one I've never (laughs) met one tell us say hi to us Kelsey's we want to know what know them in real life are, are you okay? You know, <laughs> you you've okay? been in high school for like 10 years, girl. You, you, it's okay. Uh, okay. So on the fingerprint journey, our boy, Captain Casey. So he's the captain of the Glen, or sorry, that's John Orr. The, he's the captain of Bakersfield. The Bakersfield. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. So he comes up with a plan and he's like, hey, so if I think that this person is on the inside of the fire department, or at least someone that was maybe at the, um, the conventions why don't I just we have so he had a fingerprint from one of the fires in his area he had a um a fingerprint oh on my God. a piece of notebook paper so he was like so smart but his thought was like oh we'll just run this print against everyone in the fire department in mm. you know this area in California like you know have that idea why don't we do that and his higher-ups are like no thank you Oh. Yeah. They're kind of like, well, I think mostly what it was was like, you're crazy. Like how, why would, why would someone who has sworn to like, why would someone do the exact opposite thing that they are supposed to be doing? Why would someone in the fire department be setting these fires? That seems really. Silly. Right. Far-fetched. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like. But I guess, I mean, think about those times where like there was a, um, I forget what his name was. He stayed at the Cecil Hotel for a while. He was the 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 guy who was an investigative reporter, and he was reporting yes. on his own crimes. Right. So yeah, it definitely it's happens. It's been it's happened. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like people are drawn to things for a lot of different reasons, and yeah, that could be 
that could be it for a lot of people. So yeah. not going to spoil anything yet. But another couple years go by. So he's not given any um, leeway to do that. And so a couple years go by, still with more fires set everywhere, including one that breaks out near another conference, this time near Monterey, California. Okay. So this time Casey is like, well, I'm definitely right. And like, right. Like he's like, I already <laughs> had a hunch and this just confirmed it. Yeah. He's like, I don't really care what anyone says, except I need them to like, okay, me to do some things because uh-huh. <laughs> this is clearly happening. So what he does, he, instead of like to kind of skirt the issue that happened last time, he actually makes a list since it was like, okay, this conference and that other conference, he was like, who was at both conferences? So he pulls the uh-huh. list uh-huh. of the people that were at both conferences and he comes up with 10 people like and oh. the names for 10 people. So he finally is able, since he has this list of 10 people, maybe that's easier. He goes to the higher ups again and they're like, fine, fingerprint those 10 people, see what happens. And yeah. nothing happens. What? Nothing oh, I really back. thought that was a shoe in situation. I'm sure he did too. I know. I really thought like, wow, this story is going to end really fast. Like, <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh Oh, okay. Well, cause it's so clever. It's like, you want it to work because it's like, oh, you, you did all this, you did this work. You thought it And through. it seems so, well, I mean, here I am as like a, an armchair expert of fucking nothing, but like, <laughs> Like, it seems so easy of, like, oh, it's happening in all these places where you have a log of people, like, that mm-hmm. tracks, so. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so, sadly, everyone on that list is cleared of suspicion. Mm. Um, so, we jump in time again. This is kind of like a little hopper along a, a timeline here. Um, nice. So, we jump again to the 1990s, to late 1990, early 1991. Okay. Um, when a suspiciously big series of fires breaks out in the LA area now, like oh. back to LA. So this whole time we haven't been able to find this person and there's still fires mm-hmm. going on or yeah. has, oh wow. So there wasn't even like a gap of time where there wasn't fire. Oh yeah. Sorry. These are just like the bigger fires that are happening, but throughout the span from like 1984 to like, I forget oh, the my end God. date, but I'll say it at the end. So this person's just getting away with it for years. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and it's gosh. just like fires still everywhere and these are just a bigger series of fires that people are wow. like able to get more clues from and these are the most notable ones yeah yeah exactly wow so basically now that it's back in la and there's a big series of fires the la fire department starts a task force which is where the pillow pyro name comes in because it was sort of nicknamed the pillow pyro task force through the um los angeles fire fire department great name yeah 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 so then in 1991, um, so the task force has been going for a little bit. The task force is looking into, like, obviously all the throughout the years of all these fires. And they get wind of Casey's initial theory. And they're like, oh, wait. Okay, let's look into that finally. So they're, like, retesting the the original theory from the 80s. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So they, they hear about it. And basically this guy, one of um, the guys on this task force, Tom... Campuzano he actually Mm. even meets with Casey because he hears tell of Casey and his theory and he's like oh I think he's on to something I want to meet with him ah okay yeah and so he Tom Campuzano not to be confused with poor demonic (laughs) 
demonically. Right. <laughs> demonic child. That Tom. That Tom who's also involved in fires. Jeez. Oh, you know, when you said set, uh, the bed was setting on fire, I was like, oh, what a, what a segue into the story, too. Hey, when you talked about your bread candle and all of a sudden bread showed up <laughs> in my notes. What a what? weirdly synchron- syn- synchronic? Synchronous- synchronized? Oh, my God. Synchronized day. (laughs) Also, what a mess of a day. What a... Listen, (laughs) we got the the weird weather happening. It's been all, like, cloudy and rainy and weird, so... I know, Eva. We haven't even talked about... That's why I drink today. The weather is so gloomy, and y'all know I love a gloomy day. I know. It is pretty... It's nice in October vibesy, and then, like, we were just talking about that rainstorm the other day, too, that, like, really threw us both off. I literally called Eva in the middle of the night and I was like, are you okay? I thought you had died. I don't know what was, there was something about the way that the sky opened up and the lightning hit where I was like, someone must, must be dead. There's just no way. It's so eerie here. And I think I said back like, oh, I'm fine. I'm just locking every single door in my girlfriend's home because I'm worried it, that we're going to get murdered. It really is a freaky experience when I, it sounds so stupid. Cause I like, we both grew up on the East coast. We know what rain is, yeah. but like, like, moving here and like getting rain like once a year it becomes a really jarring experience you're just like oh my god what was that what was that (laughs) yeah we're we've become soft on rain (laughs) soft on rain absolutely (laughs) um okay so tom meets with casey and is like hey you're on to something let's talk and actually casey ends up giving him that fingerprint from the initial oh he was like please finish what i Please finish what I started. Exactly. Yeah. He's like, now that these fires are in LA, there's more, you know, chance for clues where you are. So you take this fingerprint, run with it, see what you can find. Which is funny. Like, I just realized this. I didn't think about this when I was doing this initially, I guess. But I don't know. It's like funny thinking about like, Casey's original theory was that there was someone on the inside and he's passing over evidence to someone on the inside. I wonder if he had like misgivings about that. Yeah, like, what if the one person that got away with it is the one you're handing the information to? Right, yeah, I wonder if there was something huh. that made him trust Tom and the task force more than most. I, if I were him, I would have never even thought about it until, like, three days later in the car, and I would have yeah. been like, oh, like, what? Oh, no. <laughs> I would have been like, oh, no. Because it actually is said that Casey's theory was not only that it was someone on the inside, but also that it was someone specifically in L.A. So this oh, guy was shit. in L.A., too. Anyway, yeah. there must have been something that cleared tom to casey because he did pass over the fingerprint i guess Um, so and so in 1991 with better technology and obviously people believing him and also karen mentioned in the my favorite murder episode that there had potentially been a um a lab mix-up like a a lab error the first time the prints were run so tom runs these prints again this time against all uh, applicants, all former applicants for all law enforcement, mm. um, I believe in the area, and it gets a match. Wow. So, do you have any guesses who the match is? Oh, it's uh, well, that means it's a character we discussed. Oh, man. Is it, is, is it Captain Casey himself? You would think because I did talk about him more, but no, it's the other person I talked about at the very beginning. John Orr? It's John Orr. What? Yeah. The first person on the first, on the scene of that. The um, guy who all, so wait, the guy who literally said, oh, it was definitely arson, not an electric fire. The guy who could have cleared it as an electric fire and gotten away with it. Yes. 
There's that shitty narcissism. Yes. I, you, you can't catch me bullshit again. Okay. No, exactly. I bet you it was that thing. And I think like Karen and Georgia kind of mentioned this a little bit too. That thing of like, right, like a coming back to the scene of the crime and being like, no, I need you to know how, you know. Yeah. I need I you did. to know that someone intentionally wanted to do this and hurt these people. Like, yeah, you're not getting it. Like, understand. Well, Christine recently just covered somebody who, like, was, like, literally got away with it. But the only reason he didn't get away with it was because he kept feeding them, like, clues. There was some, like, I mean, oh, that feels yeah. like... That feels like half of her stories yeah. where, like, the murderer just is so frantically, like, it's someone you, you don't know who it is, yeah. but it's right here. No, and exactly. how it feels. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, you literally, you had the authority. You were the only mm-hmm. one with the authority who could have said, oh, ignore it, and you chose for people to get curious about it. Right. You probably would I mean, he did get away with it for years years almost a decade like so long i always wonder about those people where like they're involved in a crime and they think they get away and then they find out the technology is getting better and then they're like Mm -hmm. "Uh oh like what did you think was gonna happen like of course eventually we'll have something that can help us figure out something we couldn't figure out before yeah no for sure yeah and i wonder like how much of that plays into to that idea of like it does seem like there's such a right a spectrum of criminal intent maybe of like you know people that want to do it and never get caught and just keep Mm -hmm. doing it and then people who want like the notoriety for it but obviously don't want the consequences of it yeah it's so interesting so yeah the fingerprint came back john Orr, arson investigator for the glendale fire department wow which obviously is like the big crux of this case because i remember hearing that and being like what the fuck like oh my god that's it's so wild yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So John Orr also, as I said earlier, was like super well-respected too. Like he was to- a total, like definitely a pillar of the community. He was the arson investigator. He also was like neighboring, Ellen put this, um, this is like her wording here. Um, other neighboring fire departments would send their firefighters to him for, he would, he, he literally oh, taught God. classes on like. I mean, again, this gives me the vibe of a, of a narcissist where like he yeah. knows he's like the man and like people go to him because he's the man in power. Yeah. And so like, of course the man could get away with something like this, yes. even if he's like pulling this, like tugging on the string in front of you of like, oh, mm-hmm. who could it be? And feeling entitled to keep doing those mm-hmm. things. Like he was teaching, I think it was the LA Times article that mentioned this, that like he was teaching his like classes on firefighting and arson investigation, all of that right up until the point where they found out it was him. God. Like, right up until. Wow. Okay. So wild times. So once the fingerprint matched, they obviously were like, wow, fuck, we need to get him off the streets because yeah. before another fire starts and like more people die. But this was easier said than done because while they had the fingerprint, for whatever reason, they did want more evidence before they arrested him. Mm. So I think it's th- at this point, the ATF, the, um, what is it, alcohol and tobacco, tobacco and firearms and explosives, that um, branch of the FBI, I believe, of the government basically gets involved at some point. And I think it's right here. It was kind of unclear in like a, a couple of the different sources. But they get involved because they actually are the ones who start surveilling and tracking him so Mm. they put a um a tracker a gps tracker on his car which it was funny because when i first read this i was like oh yeah a gps tracker and then i read that he so the next 
bullet point is that he found the tracker. Oh, shit. But it's 1991. And so, like, who really knows what that looks like or is? And who, yeah. you know, it's, like, a little bit newer of a thing. I'm imagining it's, like, literally, like, a black, like, thing that's, like, beeping red. It's, like a, like, a very obvious pulsating tracking light from a movie. Okay, so, Em, you're probably exactly correct because he thinks it's <gasps> a bomb. Like, that's his first thought is, like... Shut up! Yeah, he thinks it's a bomb on his car. And I, when I talked to Ellen, when I told her I was doing this story, that was the point that she was, like that's my favorite part of the story. Or like, she basically was like, that's the wildest part of the story is that basically he, or one of the, there are so many wild parts of the story, but he thinks it's a bomb. He calls into a bomb expert basically. And then oh my God. they basically find out that he is ta- some, I don't know that exact like connections right there, but basically they find out that he is talking to a bomb expert. And so they're trying to be like, Oh my God, t- like let's tell him some bullshit about how to dismantle it. And like, well, I imagine I don't know how, I don't, I feel like a bomb department wouldn't have been like, well, maybe uh, our, I don't know if like the, the, whatever the right word is for bombs and explosives and all that, but they, I'm sure they have like an easy connection to the police. Right. So yeah. like maybe, I don't know. I imagine he like called maybe the police first and then they maybe. called the bomb place or they called the bomb place and they checked with the cops like to say like, oh, we have a bomb. We need to call the police. And the police were like, no, no, no. Like that's actually like our tracker. Like, yeah. You know? Yeah. Let's actually send you to someone that you don't know is the ATF, but we're going to send right. you to the person who put that on they, your car. They It was like a three-way call and the person yeah. on holds didn't realize that they were now conspiring together. Mm-hmm. Also, like I love my favorite part of the story is I also think this is my favorite part, but only because like, wow, technology has changed so much where he found something on his car and it was literally just a GPS device. It was like, and he thought it was a bomb and he (laughs) was like head of like, he was like in charge of a a whole group of like, he should have known more than other people what a GPS device looked like in my mind. And he was like, what is this? No, exactly. Yeah. And then they were like, basically telling him like, Oh, here's how you dismantle it. And like basically I think ended up taking that one off. Um, but yeah, basically like got away with, well, got away, like the, the ATF got away with, they, he didn't figure out that that was a GPS at all that he, Mm. that they were onto him. And it did say in another article that they were able to track him. They put, so they had one that was in some, like another part of his car. And then they had a smaller one that was somewhere like it's, it sounded like maybe in the, like under the hood or like in the dash somewhere. Mm. So it sounded like they had another one, but that doesn't really play in a ton more except in this next part, which I think might be one of my favorite parts of the story, which is that, so I'm not sure exactly how soon after this was, but after the tracker situation and they're like, phew, but also we still need some more evidence on him. Um, a fire breaks out on the Warner brothers lot on the set of a TV show. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So wild. I'm actually going there this weekend. I'm going there on Saturday. Are you really, are you doing the tour? Yeah. Uh, yes, I am doing the tour, but I have done it as the, the worst part about having a tourist attraction 10 minutes from you that you actually love is I've done the tour so many times. I don't really need the tour. I just want to, yeah, I just yeah. want to go stare at it. You yeah. know? So. Yeah. Well, that's actually, we just drove by because Rachel were used to, and still does work for Warner brothers. And so we were driving by like her gate where she like used to go into work before COVID and I was like so oh my crazy. god that's the same gate that like you know a friend of mine who works on Ellen like let us in once to you know go see the well, we went to a Conan taping that's what we did that was like super fun too my favorite when I used to work on the CBS lot they they had like some gate that like secretly opened up to like Chipotle and I was like 
oh, I can get into this. <laughs> like, <laughs> secret entrance. No. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, on the WB lot, we don't know what TV show it was, but it was a set of a TV show. Um, and it is like, you know, like a lot of us that know that have been on lots before, there is a fire department on um, mm-hmm. lots, which Karen mentions too. So, it was that, I'm assuming, that fire department that put out that fire. Sure. But the local fire department was called as well. And when John Orr got his call, they made sure to give him the wrong address and not say the WB lot. Genius. But he showed up at the WB lot anyway. (gasps) Gotcha. (laughs) Literally the next bullet point in my notes is, so they were like, hi, gotcha. (laughs) Yeah, truly. Yep. Big time. Gotcha. So. John Orr was arrested in December of 1991, weirdly the same day that a new city fire chief was named. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So his name was Richard Hines, Hines, H-I-N-Z. Mm. And um, this is where this Los Angeles Times article, this LA Times article I read was really interesting. It was actually written two days after he was arrested. And it was like super interesting because like it really put a big emphasis on like some of the context of what was happening at the time and how it affected the fire department um, employees at the time. Yeah. And um, this article made a good point that was saying like, this would have been a celebratory day for this person, for Richard Hines, but he ended up having to basically spend all of his time then um, working on like helping the morale of his firefighters and department. For sure. Because also like having to like doubly tr- learn their trust, gain their trust of like, yeah. yo, I'm not going to set things on fire. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lots of people, some people might, but I'm not, yeah. <laughs> not me. No, that was it too. The article was saying that he had to spend a lot of time like defending the department as well. I mean, basically being like, well, it was this one person. We don't think it was more people, but we know this is like a huge breach in trust. So um, there are a lot of, uh, I had a couple quotes here that I thought were really interesting. These are all from the LA Times article. Um, suspected arsonist John L. Orr was regarded as a mentor and sage by many of his firefighting colleagues. A veteran arson investigator called upon by fire officials across Southern California who were stumped by a tough case. Mm. So he was like the guy that people went to, to be like, yeah. hi, help I mean, it's us. like, it's like having your like your idol i mean i imagine in the fire department someone you, everyone's got like a favorite firefighter like it's like yeah i imagine you've got like your little ranks of like oh he's the coolest one no that's imagine such a like good point yeah your idol like being the reason that people have died you know yeah no for sure it's so so true like any industry even if it's not in your same industry but especially if it is something that you personally do and you look up to that person yeah yeah that's really really tough um Let's see, where was it? I also found this other um, quote that I, I liked because it was sad and like also kind of went to how, how um, just how much they all were so ingrained in like the thought process of mm. fires and what it was because um, basically this, uh, let's see, Mario Vasquez. So this is all from the LA Times article as well. Mario Vasquez, a Glendale fire captain and spokesman for the 165-member Glendale Firefighters Association, said the allegations against or caught everyone by surprise. Some of the guys told me they had trouble sleeping last night because they were thinking about this. He said the news was so explosive that it's like an internal backdraft. Oh, shit. Which then the article goes on to say he was referring to a smoke blast that erupts in some building fires. Right. Yes. Yeah. It also is very, like, 
I, I thought that quote was really, you know, it is really interesting because it does, it shows that they're, you know, always relating to the fight. Like they're so ingrained in fighting fires that that right. was such a, an impactful thing for them. And then they were even using metaphors about fighting fires to talk about mm-hmm. it too. Yeah. 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 So that was really kind of sad to like hear about all the, the people that were so, you know, brought down by it. So a little more about John Orr. He was married and had two kids from a previous marriage. He actually lived in Eagle Rock and had gone to Eagle Rock High School and Glendale Community College, which is another site. The Glendale Community College area is another site where there was like one of the biggest fires that was in that time frame. And I think even in California, like Southern California history, it was like one of the biggest fires. Wow. Okay. So he had also, he kind of had that sometimes that like criminal trope of um, having wanted to be a cop and not making it. Uh Uh-huh. So he passed every test except the mental exam. Oh, wow. Yeah, which... That tells you something, I guess. Yeah, not great. Um, And some people, especially some ATF um, officers, view him as one of the worst arsonists in the 20th century. ATF officers um, have guessed that he set around 2,000 fires between 1984 and 1991, but other sources put it closer to 10,000 fires. Holy sh... 10,000 fires? Yeah. Anywhere between. What? Yeah. He was and just what did they lighten them up? Suggest, like, like what was the first number you said before 10,000? Oh. Like how many fires he's done? 2,000. That's still so many. It's still oh so many. Yeah. Wow. This part really got me. This was from Ellen's notes. Um, after he was arrested, brush fires in the Glendale area specifically and surrounding foothills decreased by over 90%. <gasps> Holy shit. 90%. Wow. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. Oh my God. Like That's all the fires. insane. Literally, like we just became basically fireless. Wow. Yes, almost all the fires were him. Every single fire. So wild. Like what? So then at that point, it's like I. I mean, again, I. I don't think. I can't totally think like a. I am that kind of narcissist criminal mindset of like, oh well, I'm doing this because I really want to make a name for myself. It's like you've already done it, buddy. Like, yeah. why are you still doing this? Like, what you yeah. need to be ninety nine percent of the fires? Like, what is the deal here? Yeah, that's a really good point because then at what point is that like more of like a compulsion that he just couldn't? Yeah, stop it feels like from doing or I feel like if you're setting ten thousand fires, like that is that has to be a compulsion, right? Right. Yeah, because... it feels like it. It definitely feels like more than just, you know, initially when, you know, it's him showing up on the scene of the hardware store fire yeah. and being like, hey, this is arson. I didn't do it. But, you know, right. type thing. But it definitely feels that many seems much more. Like there's a, a bigger, a, me- a bigger mental issue there. Yeah, for sure. And there's like little bits of that a little bit later down that I'll talk about. But yeah, for the most part, there's not not a ton else that we know about it Wow! Um, because throughout his trial. So here's the, yeah, the part about his trial throughout all of it. He was um, <laughs> kept saying he was uh, maintained his innocence. Oh, okay. But this was not him. Yeah. He was indicted with both state and federal charges for the fires and the murders separately. Um, he pled not guilty and even turned down a plea deal. So early on in the trial process, the I think it was the, the it must have been the the prosecution um actually had the it was interesting because I feel like for the most part you hear that 
prosecution doesn't want to put the death penalty on because they don't think it'll get a conviction because people don't want to vote for the death penalty. Mm -hmm. But in this case, the Wikipedia article was saying that the prosecution had put the death penalty on this case because they wanted to make sure he never got out. So they were kind of upping it in that way, it sounded like. Um, but so they took a plea deal to him to say like, hi, if you would just admit to every fire you've set since you were a child, like any fire all the time, um, and you agree to life in prison with no parole, we'll take the death penalty off the, okay. off the table. And he turned that down. He was like, no, I'm wow. Yeah. Wow. So he was convicted in 1993 on the arson charges and 1998 for the murder charges. Um, yeah, again, he's maintained his innocence ever since. But aside from everything else, oh, sorry, I actually didn't write this part down, but I wanted to mention it. Basically, the Wikipedia article was saying that he um, is not on any prison registries or like oh. prison inmate registries. So they think he's actually being held under an alias in oh, prison. Oh, interesting. Which was really interesting. Yeah, because I didn't know they did that. I had no clue. I feel yeah. like there's a lot of people, not, not to compare crimes here, but I feel like there's a lot of other hardened criminals with uh, infamous pasts that yeah. should have aliases in jail. Right, exactly. And, like, who gets that? Because does is that, yeah, like, so, a luxury? or like? To... Yeah, exactly. Because, like, you were the chief of something? Do maybe, you, like, yeah. I, I would understand it maybe if you were, like, the chief of police and did something like this, and there's a lot of people you arrested going into, oh, that you're going right. to see in jail. Yeah. Like, I feel like maybe a fireman wouldn't have to worry as much about that. I don't know. Yeah, it's unclear. Yeah. So um, aside from that, um, he was put in prison for for life. The death penalty was taken. He um, no longer is um, under the death penalty. But aside from everything else that pointed to his guilt, um, when they arrested him, they found a manuscript. Um, <gasps> oh, my God. Okay. Do you want to guess what his novel's about? It was a threat level midnight starring Michael Skarn, <laughs> Agent Michael Skarn. Okay, basically though, it was no. It was all about arson. Like it was all about him. I mean, it wasn't him. The character's name, I think, was Aaron Styles. Um, the novel was called Point of Origin, and the char- the main character sets massive fires all around the area, killing a couple people, including a child whose name is the same as the child that was Oh, for fuck's killed. sake. Like the specifics of the manuscript to the specifics of... It was basically his diary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and actually, I think I think that's exactly what Karen said too, or Georgia in the... They were like, he basically wrote this exact same like beat by beat down, it seems like. And like more disturbingly, he also wrote down like things that were, you know, not corroborated. Like he had never spoken on it. No one had ever like caught him doing this. But the character also like, like would get erections watching the fires, like couldn't Uh, get an erection until he set a fire. So he, so this was, that makes more sense why there was like, if he was doing 10,000 of them, Mm -hmm. if. And and I was like, oh, it feels like there's something else going on there. It's like a sexual compulsion. Exactly. Yeah. Ellen wrote in her notes that it was like, it was likened to um, like a mistress, like his, you know, kind of like love of fires, the the character. Oh. And also. Interesting. Yeah. The person that seems to be behind it all. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, So there's actually also a movie called Point of Origin that is about this exact situation. Um, it's an HBO movie from 2002 um, starring Ray Liotta as John Orr, but that was written by an actual screenwriter and from from what we know, not an arsonist. 
Gotcha. Sure. <laughs> that would be a real plot twist, though. <laughs> oh, my God. The plot twists continue. The screenwriter just keeps going too. up and up and up. Yep. Yeah. Um, so it's been covered by a lot of different TV shows, podcasts, movies, and books, including one that I definitely want to read, um, which is by a true crime writer who collaborated with John Orr's daughter, Lori Kovac. Um, the book is called Burned. And it's so interesting because she was on his side, it seems like, originally, where she testified on his behalf in the trials. Um, but it was also to prevent him from getting the death penalty. So it might have also been kind of like, mm. a, you know, at, at the time, maybe she was like, I just don't want him to get the death penalty. Um, but it does seem like years later, she did eventually come to realize how guilty he was. And she cut off all contact with him and wrote this book with this true crime wow. author. Um, there is also a podcast called Firebug that I haven't listened to, but I'm putting it on the list because um, they actually include excerpts from his book, which oh, I wow. feel like would be an interesting sure, yeah, read of to hear. But that is the story of John Orr and the Pillow Pyro. Wow. Well done, Eva. But talk about a twist. I'm, I guess we, I was a baby when it, he, I guess he got found out because I was gonna say why don't I remember this but I was I wasn't thinking about this kind of stuff then <laughs> um wow yeah I I would be interested to go back and listen to the my favorite murder version episode of it to see like what was going on at the time and what Karen was experiencing yeah in I mean like I don't I don't know what her big thing would be but usually like my my version of like oh I was uh, I have memories of this experience was always the DC sniper for me so I wonder oh, like right. yeah. in LA what what may, maybe this was her version of that of like oh like I've I know all about that I I heard about it all the time yeah that's it, super interesting yeah it definitely seemed like it and it seemed like such a different like interesting but different version of kind of what is happening now because of you know climate change with all of the right. extra big fires that we're experiencing now you know a number of years later oh god can you imagine if one day we found out that 90 percent of all the fires we're dealing with is a different fire chief right well that's like what kind of what it's it seemed so like of wild. like at the time who knows if they were like also thinking like oh my god is like they just didn't know you right know? it's like yeah also climate change too like all the different things. Yeah. But wow, that was definitely something that I thought was really interesting to, and, and like, I was thinking back a couple of years too, to one of the, um, the big fires that I remember at the time I was working on the Disney lot. And as I was driving out, you could see like the Disney, the like kind of iconic, like Disney buildings. And then behind it, it was just, it was one of the, the fire, big, the fire skies. Yeah. Just the fire skies. Was so that, the, um, was that like 20, it's 15, 2016 ish. It was. Yeah. I remember that was my first fire sky I ever saw. Was and it? I, I had I had just moved here and I was like, what the f is what's going on? I was like, so... literally for people who haven't seen, I don't know if there's like a different word, but usually I just say fire sky and anyone in LA knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. But if you haven't seen one before, it really looks like the apocalypse is coming. Like the yeah. the entire sky, think of like the brightest blue you have ever ever seen. That vibrant of like solid orange like neon orange mm -hmm. and then the all the clouds are completely like black and brown and like that was a crazy time because anywhere you drove there was some of the the fire sky was somewhere or like yeah. you could drive from one area and see like 
the prettiest blue sky and 10 minutes down the road, all of a sudden you're under like this crazy orange brown cloud situation. Yeah. It looked like literal fire was in the sky. It was the scariest thing. Yeah. And like it happened a few times over quarantine too. I feel like where the sky just turned like, and almost like sometimes orangey, like there's Mm -hmm. so much going on. It's, it's really scary. Like, yeah, I feel like, you know, what's so funny is when we, we were just talking about how, rain now freaks us out True, the yeah. last few times there's been a it, i don't think we've realized the like how many times this has overlapped but in the last couple of years anytime there's been like a huge rainstorm you and i have either been together and freaked have, out yeah or called each other afterwards <laughs> yeah and been like are you okay like i'm freaking out right now yeah it's so weird that we like turned in our rain card for a fire sky card and now yeah. when like now when the sky looks like it's literally in flames i'm like whatever it's yeah i'll we'll be fine but, yeah but a little drizzle and i'm like out for the count so a hundred percent it's funny how yeah it can just flip in your mind in terms of i guess just what you're used to or like i feel like you made a good point the other day too of like who knows what like because it never rains here like what it kicks up in terms i of feel like, like chemically and, there's something yeah. in the some sort of I, it feels like there's something different in the air that happens when it rains now where like I like feel this like existential dread yeah. but when there's a fire sky and it's literally snowing ash on my car I'm fine you know yeah. like <laughs> yeah yeah oh god that's true imagine how much ash would have been because that like seems somewhat normal too that I've kind of come to just be like oh yeah that just comes with living here sometimes that just happens well just the happens. first time I saw a fire sky I was like oh my god is it snowing and everyone was like do not touch it. It is no. literal ash. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, uh, just another reason for you to not visit America if uh, if you don't have fire skies where you Gosh, are. Truly. Um, anyway, thank you so much, Eva, for coming on. I appreciate, oh you know, gosh. us bonding and bad weather and yeah. uh, washing me open my little coffin man. Oh, and, love um, it. But I, I hope everyone is doing well. It's about to be Thanksgiving, right? Oh, my gosh, it is. Yeah, this is this comes out. Oh, my gosh, I meant to look it up. I think it's, like, November. Wait, this one comes out the 21st, so the week of Thanksgiving. Holy shit. Well, I hope everyone's having a great Thanksgiving. Yeah. Where, do you know where you'll be at for, for Thanksgiving, Eva? You know, I actually don't. I am right now thinking I might actually. Rachel invited me to go home and see her family, so I might go see her oh that's precious a little a little gay turkey day yeah exactly (laughs) love it uh i will be back i since last year we we had thanks you and i had thanksgiving together last year yeah yeah for because we were quarantine buddies so we i missed out on my regular trip back to seattle to see my family so i'm gonna be there i think allison is i mean it's still early we i don't know what the official plans are but allison said she might be coming with me this year for the first time she first time i won't be alone traveling to seattle oh that's so fun so whatever y'all have planned i hope things are going well and i hope you enjoy getting nice and round and have big bellies full of yummy food and don't even feel bad about it just embrace the experience and uh, i hope everyone has fun and a happy turkey day yeah and that's why we drink hey mom first things first thank you It's my one-year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, Mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost.